stand for honesty. Giraffes are insincere, and the elephants are kindly, but they're dumb. Orangutans are skeptical of changes in their cages, and the zookeeper is very fond of rum. Hello there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Zootopia. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Moklinski. It's Tahunga. It was so awesome hearing that. And with our Zootopia tagline, Kelly Wan. It's like Meet the Feebles, but for grown-ups. <laughs> Don't get that one. Give us another one. The best talking animal movie since The Witch. <laughs> Kelly Wan, Nice. You should quit there. I mean, I don't know how you're gonna. I I think you peaked. Uh, yeah, you I think I think you know, cynical definitely choose that one. Um, what do you call a bunny cop's partner? Hutch. <laughs> Not peaking. All right. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. I like that. Mm, that one See? takes a little. It's too cerebral. Oh, <laughs> uh, like Professor X's computer. I read his hat. Oh man! Is that okay, put away your head. Oh yeah, I got one more. Okay. It's so girly, I felt like a pedophile just watching. Oh. Yeah, you definitely should have quit on your head. We'll edit that one out, Kelly Wan, so that uh, you don't uh, embarrass us on the podcast. That <laughs> ship sailed. <laughs> Hutch. Before we talk about, um, so when you said that, Kelly Wan, I was thinking, what does Starsky have to do with rabbits? Like that one completely <laughs> lost me. Until I realized, oh, the joke is Hutch. It's not that he's putting in our mind the expectation of Starsky. At any rate, I didn't, I find- I didn't mean to incept the word Starsky. In well, I, when I got it, was that I realized, hey, Dingus is laughing. He understood it, and then it must I thought, be pretty dumb. I better so that, lower. My- right, I sort of thought on a different Hutch. level. Like Dingus doesn't know Starsky and Hutch. It's like, oh, it must be something more obvious than that. So. Right, because I actually well, raised rabbits when I was growing up. Is that true? Yeah. To eat them, or what do you do with them? You eat them. Pets are food. What? Like you raised rabbits to eat or sell, or what did you? Why did you do that? That's Dingus? weird to me. We had chickens, we had rabbits, we had geese, we had goats. But what do you? What I mean is, what do you do with the rabbits? You sell them. Well, that's sad. Not, not for the rabbits. Do you get attached to them, and then you're like, eh, we sold my favorite one. Like, was that? Was that? A oh thing no, 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 no. There, are, like, there are tons of them. Like as as uh, um, <laughs> Judy says in the movie, they're good at multiplying. Um, and wow. and when you have to go out in the you know after school to feed them in the snow, you don't really get that attached to them. You, you probably start, resent them a little bit. Yeah, you resent them a little bit, and then you have to dodge the goat. Dingus, can you confirm for me whether or not one of the pigs in uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane was named Judy? Uh, I cannot. Okay, Kelly Wan, do you remember was one of the pigs that was used as kind of a canary in a coal mine? Was one of the pigs named Judy? Uh, I saw that movie in German, but I remember what it was called. <laughs> das Judy! <laughs> okay, very good. It would be Juden. I want you guys to hold this discussion of Zootopia for a moment, because first, I want to read you guys a synopsis, and whoever guesses the movie that this is the synopsis of first wins all the marbles today. Are you ready? Marbles Wait. are a great prize, because yep. you can make buildings out of them. Mm, that's marble, singular, yeah. Don't try to make buildings out of these marbles. One's rectangular and one's round. There's no other difference. What's the circumference of a marble, Kelly Wand? Oh, about half a henway. <laughs> we give or take a dick for. Josh- <laughs> oh, my gosh. Josh Kovacs is the manager of a condominium. 
he's close to all the tenants, especially financier Arthur Shaw. One day, Shaw is arrested by the FBI for fraud. Josh thinks it's a misunderstanding that can be resolved. (laughs) But later, he learns that the employee's pension funds, which he asked Shaw to handle, is gone. When one of the employees uh, kills himself, Kelly Wand got tower heist. Nicely done. That doesn't have anything to do with animals, though. I know. It does. I mean, it's not thematic. I was going to see which one of you guys can be punked by admitting that you remembered the plot of Tower Heist yeah, first. Yeah, all the stole pension funds. That's the one thing I remember about Tower Heist. I could remember was – beats up the car. He's all, oh, okay, fucker. And then he, like, beats up the guy's hood. It's Alan Alda's sports car that he keeps in a skyscraper penthouse. Yeah. That. And it goes in a pool. Spoiler. Dingus, what's all you remember? That it was Eddie Murphy, and he's like, what's up? And here's your punk-ass bobby pin. Dingus, do you remember how funny Michael Pena was in that movie? I don't. <laughs> I don't even remember he was in it. Yeah, it's re- looking at this I, page. I could have seen Real Steel or Harold and Kumar's Christmas, but I chose Tower Heist. Do you remember how funny Michael Pena was in um, 30 Man? Minutes or Less? Oh, in what What or less? 30 in Minutes World or Less. Pizza? What is 30 Minutes? Oh, the pizza delivery movie? Yeah. Man, I didn't even remember he was in it. You know, I've forgotten more movies than Michael Pena has been in. No, I'm screwing up the medium. Michael Pena has been in more movies than I've forgotten. No, wait, something like that. That's very flattering. Your body's your body's writing checks that your ego can't cash. Your tummy's bigger than Michael Pena's uh, memory. Uh, Let's move on from Michael Pena. (laughs) I can't imagine why. Really going places. Uh, Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners what Michael Pena-less movie we oh saw my God. this week? <laughs> oh, my God. Kelly Owen, what's the matter? I just feel yes. this is one of those podcasts where no one's listening because no one cares what we're thinking about Zootopia. We've done far worse, Kelly Wand. We have done far uh, This far is one of them, though. This okay. is one of the elite episodes. Where no, kind of no, that's not true. Everybody yeah. will listen like, because they don't. they feel like they don't have to see the movie. Well, also, Kelly Wan, wait until you hear how this movie did at the box office. I mean, this is a movie that lots oh, of yeah, people, and a lot of our listeners uh, get dragged to the. Oh, that, a lot of our listeners get to see this movie because they have children. Mm-hmm. When I know so much money something made, then I care what I thought about it. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh man, I loved the song that you chose, Tom. I'm so happy with that. I mean, I thought that was like the dumb, obvious choice. It's because I had so I, I sometimes we were like recording in a half hour, and I'm like, oops, I forgot what song and what, to think of a song, and so it was. Yeah, it was 15 minutes ago, called at once at sea cover back. Right? <laughs> well, what was what's great about it is that I was uh, I was over at my girlfriend's house the other day, the other morning uh, during breakfast, and she was reading this book, this po- book of poetry by Ogden Nash called Zoo. Um, which is this really great little book of poetry, and you playing that song. I, I hadn't thought of that song in so long. It's such a great choice, Tom. Thank you. Oh, man. So when I think of Zoo, uh, what's that Edward Albee play? Isn't there some two-man Edward Albee play? Flatland. No, it's about it's about a zoo, and it has a ble- It has like a violent ending, doesn't it? What's it oh, called? you're right. It's a zoo. Serpico. And no. is it Edward Albee, or am I screwing that up? No, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. It is That's what, so, Dingus, you're all, you're all light and frothy uh, Simon and Garfunkel. I'm all, like, dark and violent Edward Albee. And Kelly Wand is over here talking about Serpico. <laughs> I think it's just called Zoo, zoo, zoo Story or Zoo Oh, Tale no, I, Zoo Story is right. I think you're right, Dingus. Serpico Kelly Wand, is Dingus and I are having a connection. Would you please just pipe down for a minute? <laughs> I oh. love that play. I mean, that's a really good – man, nice poll. It's so hard to tell. Totally thought – I totally forgot that. Well, yeah, Tom Poles, you notice. Speaking of Ed, Edward Albee plays, 
that Dingus is fond of. Dingus, what did we see this week? Don't give any spoilers away because some of the listeners might not That's have seen taken. it yet. All right, this week we saw Zootopia, mm. a 2016 American 3D computer animated action adventure movie about. Yes, well, this is a movie about a bunny who wants to become a detective. Yes, yes, it is. It was directed by Byron Howard and Rich Moore. Can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. What is the deal with animated movies needing multiple directors? I don't know, but it's also co-directed by Jerry. I know. <laughs> they had to get a third name in there. <laughs> I don't understand. These two guys directed it, and then Jared Bush came and co-directed it? Or they, did they did they all like start as a relationship and divorce, and then they directed it like on alternate days? What happened? Because that's like a Disney and Pixar standby. Is there's multiple names? Like, because these guys, by the way, you look them up, and you're like, oh man, one of them is the Tangled guy, or one right. of the Tangled guys, and you're like, oh, one of them is the Wreck-It Ralph, one of the Wreck-It Ralph guys. Why, why can't one guy? Why does it take? Why can't? Why can't an animated movie be directed by one person anymore? Because they're Tangled in RL. I don't yes. know. It, remember when it all fell apart in Brave? But that was a, right. a whole like weird, just. Uh, terrible situation this is different i think i think they just maybe they get relegated to different roles i have no idea they're just a pain in the ass to make and you just need to apportion the labor (laughs) what what word were you originally trying to think of kelly one distribute (laughs) that works Um, i'm wondering if all three of them got a a mention in the in the fake vhs tape thing with the weasel oh my god i think it's don't bring that up here's what i really think it is euphemisms i i think it's that (laughs) it is a distribution thing that that kelly's talking about and the studios basically want it to be a sort of by committee team effort they don't they want less of a sort of they want less of a sort of an auteur touch and more of a studio corporate branding yeah, corporate identity branding. That's my theory. I don't know if that's the case, but it's just conspicuous. You go to see an animated movie and you can't name the director. You got to memorize like three different dudes' names. So, well, that's weird. Charles given says. that it's given that it's uh, that John Lasseter is one of the executive producers. I mean, and he he had a firm like footprint on his. But that, I, I would say that's just by virtue of him having been the Pixar guy, and Pixar was assimilated by Disney, so it's sort of like Kevin Feige or whatever is. Um, like I think he's just overseen a lot of Disney studio stuff because by virtue of having been at Pixar. I'm maybe guessing it's political. So it's his name just. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I interrupted you, Dingus, because that's just something that struck me as man. What you know, we we go and we see Batman versus Superman. It took one guy to do that. It takes three guys to do this. One guy, two superheroes, and a half. <laughs> and I, I'm so curious about the fact that two of them are together: Byron Howard and Rich Moore. And it's co-directed by Jared yeah. Bush. Those guys didn't co-directing; is they each individually fully directed. This movie had at least 200 percent direction. So is he like in the motorcycle sidecar of directing? <laughs> They're riding like one in front of the other, and then he has to sit in the sidecar, right? And half fleck because he's the half of two. Kelly Wan's still back on Batman versus Superman. Kelly Wan, it's <laughs> over. We're passing. Hey man, hey man, cool theme song. It's the beginning there. <laughs> all right, sorry. So, Dingus, give us the directors' names again, all three of them, just so we have that fresh in our mind. All right, it was directed by Byron Howard and Rich Moore, and co-directed by Jared Bush. It was storied by all of them and Josie Trinidad, Jim Reardon, Phil Johnston, and Jennifer Lee with screenplay credit to Jared Bush and Phil Johnston. So 
if you want to talk about the number of directors, let's talk about the number of directors. Uh, it stars Jennifer Goodwin, uh, Jason Bateman, Idris Elba, and Jenny Slate. Zootopia is rated PG for some thematic elements, rude humor. <laughs> what? <laughs> Rude Huber. Yeah. I think there were fart jokes or something. I don't recall that part. Yeah, yeah. Zootopia? Yeah. What's rude in Zootopia? <laughs> it's illegal. They've, they've mastered that impulse. And action. <laughs> okay. Kelly Wan, did the, M- did the MPAA miss anything that you feel should be in that, in that list of uh, warnings for parents? Some anthropomorphism. <laughs> Shakira and a happy ending. What was the second one? Shakira. Shakira. She plays um, what's the uh, gazelle? Oh, who's Shakira? She's a pop star. She's a pop star who plays the pop star, the gazelle pop star. Oh God! Ew. Okay, so I'm supposed to know who that is. All right, whatever. You don't know who Shakira is? No. Be crazy. Isn't what? that that's the that's Storm's identity when she's when, when before she was with the X Men she was Shakira right? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I like that actually. Zootopia is uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews. It's at seventy eight. Hmm. However, on Rotten Tomatoes, ninety eight percent of the reviews are positive. Hmm. All eights. Seven eight nine. Your favorite. Uh, Seven the opening. Nine score. Weekend was of course number one, and it made seventy-five million, which is a, a big hit for them. And it's it's had legs. We're we're seeing it. I think five, six it. after its release. <laughs> Four legs. Yeah. So, Kelly Wand, why don't you clear up for the listeners? Because it's kind of a mystery, you know. There's a plot with some twists and turns and clues and red herrings. Why Literally. don't you give the listeners a synopsis of Zootopia? <laughs> Maybe Kelly Wand, this might be called. A Zopsis. Weak. <laughs> really? Weak, weak effort. Okay, let me try again. Kelly Wand, if you were to do a synopsis of Zootopia, it would probably be called a Zootopopsis. Hmm. It's weird that you're a writer. <laughs> I use real words when I write Kelly Wand. I'm no, like, Lewis Carroll. That's one of my I favorite quotes now. I use real words when I write. Tom Chick. Yeah, that's something Trump would say. Wait, babe, don't stick my little Lewis Carroll reference after the end. Don't cut that part off. I'm proud stick of your that. little what? <laughs> Never mind. I'll fill in the blanks, Tom. Thank you. Tom, Tom has all the best words. Is this this? So this is what you saved your last bite of sandwich for? Uh, that's. There's no need to let the listeners in on the workings behind the scenes of this podcast. They like the behind the scenes. They like the inside baseball. Okay, I'm going to mute myself and finish my sandwich while you give them a... Oh, you didn't even tell us what it's called. Zootopiaopsis. Weak. Oh, what? How's it feel? How's it feel, huh? Yeah, see? You can't just say that about anything. <laughs> it has to be weak, you see. Okay. Wait, don't mute yourself, because if I do a good joke, I won't hear you laugh or choke on it. I, okay. I'll, I'll just turn you yourself know. down so I can hear the laugh at least. If I were to eat it's a sandwich, music. if I was yeah. going to eat a sandwich, I would eat it quietly. This is the weirdest date I've ever listened in on. Zootopiopsis. Some animals do a play with ketchup, explaining why animals can talk. 
parent animals videotaping it seem unfamiliar with the story beats. One of the animals is all, since I can talk and I'm a chipmunk, I want to be an astronaut. The audience parents are all, yeah, it sounds legit, yeah. A girl bunny's all, I want to be a cop. All hell breaks loose, or at least there's a reaction shot. Out at the carnival shop afterwards, the bunny's dad's all, honey, rabbits would make lame cops if you think about it. We're known more for our talent at carrying eggs in baskets on the day a Jewish man came back from the dead. And also for hopping. The mom's all, yes. The bunny's all, I guess I'll just have to wait. Fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Sandwich left. I was still thinking about Tom's sandwich. It's distracting me. The bunny's all, I guess I'll just have to be the most ineffectual one then, because I want to make the world a better place. Right now it sucks ass. Underscore this, she jumps around on stuff. Suddenly a giant fox shakes down an ocelot for some concert tickets in a cornfield. While her parents do nothing, the bunny runs over and goes, Hey, quit it, I'm going to be a cop someday. The fox claws holes in her cheek and wanders off, somehow forgetting to notice she's holding his concert tickets. The ocelot's all, Wow, thanks. Your pluck is inspirational. I stole these tickets, by the way. Sorry your face got mutilated, though. Those scratches look harsh. The bunny's all, Don't worry, they're gone for the rest of the movie. She grows up to be the same size, or maybe it's just the next day. She joins the police academy. Things are tough at first, since the obstacle courses are designed in shape more for giraffes and lobsters, but after she does a pull-up, she's able to make a rhino fatally punch himself in the face. <laughs> in slow motion. The referee drapes a shroud over the rhino, sets fire to it, raises the bunny's glove over her head and goes, I hereby crown thee, weighing it at zero pounds, Utopia's newest traffic cop intern, the bunny character! The crowd explodes. The next day she leaves for Zootopia, since the bully issue in her hometown is someone else's problem. Her dad kisses himself, tousles her tail, and goes, Remember, honey, ostriches are the worst. She's all, I want to make the world a better place, just so we're clear on that point still. She rides an air-polluting train through the center of a rainforest and tries not to step on termites or jellyfish in the human train station while Shakira sings a song about poor motor skills. I broke down the lyrics. Since Utopia is a magical place where all species live in harmony, she moves into a slump apartment next door to the plumber's family from Brooklyn and listens with a dreamy smile on her face as they throw spaghetti at each other and argue about money. The next morning, she goes to work at a police station where all the desks are human-sized. The police chief's a yak or a boar, so he sounds like Idris Elba. He's all, right, first it's time to beat a dead horse. Everyone laughs when this turns out to be literal. (laughs) Riggs and Murtaugh, you're on lice catching. White Dr. Doolittle and Eddie Murphy, one hominid inside. Hominid side. Peacock twins, you get Felix and Oscar. And bunny character. Make the world a better place? Nope. Parking duty. The bunny and dingus are all nice. Later. Boom, 200 parking tickets before noon. When will pigeons in Amoebe learn that parallel parking is essential to their unlikely coexistence? She puts a ticket on a windshield and goes, 201, bitches. The car opens its headlights and goes, this isn't Pixar. The bunny sees a popsicle store and goes inside to distribute parking violations. 
Instead, she falls prey to a scam perpetrated by a fox and an elephant wearing a midget mask from The Shining. Later that afternoon, all right, heister J. Fox, first I give you 20 bucks to buy an elephant a popsicle. Now I find you selling sticks to penguins for 38 cents a pop. Do you have any idea how boring that sounds? Nah, that involved listening. I look over at Grasshoff and the two nine-year-old girls beside me humming the Zootopia theme and rhythmically swaying their heads and go, this is the most tortured meat cute since Jaws and Ben Gardner. The fox is all. Them's the brakes, toots. Now, if you'll excuse me, I got some cares to freeze, so I bid you good night of the lepus. He walks on screen. She's all. <clears throat> the meter where she parked her scooter arrests her. She's all. I'm the worst cop ever. Suddenly, a weasel steals an onion and runs over a bunch of pedestrians. The bunny's all. Yes! She gets on her scooter and chases it into an ant farm. Most of the residents die, except for a girl mouse who's been knocked up. Later at the police station, arson, speeding, indifferently choreographed vehicular mayhem. I ought to throw your badge in the river right now, Skulk. There's a hundred barnacles lined up there who'd kill their own grandmothers for half a chance at giving parking tickets to Paramecia. Sir, I did recover one layer of the onion, and who knew ants would be so flammable? I was just using my magnifying glass to look for clues. An otter walks on screen. She's all. My husband's missing. Anne went crazy from drugs in a limo. She walks off screen. The bunnies all look, sir. I'm obviously not cut out for parking detail. This rabbit-sized scooter you gave me is a terrible fit psychologically. <sighs> Fine, but I'm only giving you 48 hours. After that, I no longer care about a missing person. Hmm, person. Wait, that's it. Income taxes. Chief, I'll see you later. I've got a fox's income taxes to blackmail him over using a carrot phone. I expected nothing less from a lagomorph. Later in a CG alley, the bunny holds up a carrot phone and hits play while the fox stares at her. We hear her dad's voice go, Remember, honey, ostriches are the worst. She clicks off, then rewind, then record, then sticks it in her pocket and goes, It's called a hustle, sweetheart. The fox is all, Fine, fine, I'll be your slave for 48 hours, but only because eating you and the phone at this juncture would send a bad message. They go to Playboy Mansion. As they walk around in slow motion, the bunny looks around, then vomits, cringing. None of these animals have genitals. That's disgusting. <laughs> Suddenly, a Tommy Chong mole rat walks on screen. He's all, hey, man, I own Playboy Mansion in this? Far out. The bunny's all, ma'am, Zootopia PD, we're looking for a missing limo driver. Also, have you ever seen this before, including right now? She unrolls Lois Lane's baggie with a bullet in it from Batman v Superman. Chong's all, oh yeah, the limo driver, 6'5", 180 pounds, Pisces, blood type O negative. I think you said something about the next scene being said at the DMV. They go to a DMV being mismanaged by sloths. The fox goes up to the nearest sloth, there's no line, strangely, and goes, hey, uh, how do you hump a camel toe? The aristocrats. The sloth gradually, slowly smiles. He looks over at an opossum and goes, Hey, Gary, yeah, the fox here was all, the possum's all. Can you make this fast? I have to take 
a huge brown friend's kid to an animated film. Sure, Gary, you're gonna love this. Where do you hump? Wait, what was it? The possums all. That joke is not good. Fuck you, Gary. Oh, yeah, I have a bullet with your name on it, Greg. Gary, wait, before this escalates further, I just want you to know that my mother's name is Kathleen. The bat temp looks over and goes, I prefer visual gags. A toilet flushes and the camel supervisor comes out with toilet paper stuck to its hump. Everybody hushes and looks uncomfortable and hopes she didn't hear the fox's racist joke. After the fox and the bunny step outside, great, it's night. Now I only have 36 hours to find a missing person thanks to your dromedary shenanigans. An otter's blood's going to be on your hands. You're basically a murderer. The fox shrugs. The bunny snaps her fingers. Wait, murderer, that's it. Come on, we got a chain link fence to converse near. Princess Leah leans over to me and goes, working with the animals can be challenging. The Ewoks wouldn't stop shitting on me and spurning my sexual advances for days until I told them my father's Jimmy Smith. They go to a place called Tundra Town. Since she's a cop, the bunny decides to break in. To get the fox to accompany her, she tosses the carrot over the fence, promises to give it to him once they're on the other side. Then once they are there, reneges. They break into a car. The fox opens the glove compartment and goes, CDs. The bunny's all. Speaking of which, look. The fox looks where he was already looking and suddenly realizes the car they're in the back seat of is moving and they've been kidnapped by polar bears. The bears take them to their boss, a mouse who acts like the godfather. His office has a trap door on the floor with a view of a shark tank. Oddly, the sharks don't talk. The mouse godfather's all. Fox, why you disrespect me? I ask for a rug made out of cheese. You sell me one made out of cats on the day of my wife's wedding. The fox shrugs. Suddenly, a pregnant mouse walks on screen and goes, Wait, she saved me earlier from the ant farm, though thousands without family connections perished. Spare them, or at least her. I don't really give a shit about the fox. The nearest nine-year-old leans over to me and whispers, It's like training day. On my other side, Princess Leah leans over and meanders, Don't get me started on trap doors. In Jabba's palace, I probably should have warned Luke he was standing on one. But 3PO was doing such a good job of it, I decided to just concentrate on the force and doing blow. They go to an Ewok village where a vampire limo driver tells them that his otter passenger was an animal. They leave or try to, but the vampire turns into a dinosaur and tries to eat them across a rope bridge, so the police chief tries to fire her. Luckily, the fox helpfully points out that the chief didn't count to 48 hours correctly. 
When asked for his backstory during a lull, the fox tells the bunny that when he was a Cub Scout, he got murdered by his peers and cried in a basement afterwards. She touches the fox's arm to shut him up, which makes him arbitrarily say jam cams, so they go to City Hall. There, the bunny's sheep friend types on a computer and shows them a YouTube video of some cars driving. The bunny's all, great, now we're back where we started. The fox is all, hmm, if I was a wolf, I'd do this. He takes her to a guard shack. They try to sneak in and almost get caught because the fox farts, but the bunny allays the guard's suspicions by making noise. They sneak into a sewer full of hospital equipment and wander around looking at cages full of off-screen CG. Since the bunny dumbly forgot to turn off her phone, they almost get caught, but luckily they use a toilet as a water slide and land in an ocean, which fixes the phone. A lion's arrested for caging animals, and the bunny's promoted to more parking duty. Before her medal ceremony, the fox is all, Hey, if the press ask any questions, just give him an answer without answering. He shrugs. She's all, Hey, that reminds me. You've been such a great blackmail victim. I want you to become a cop. Specifically, my new partner. You'll have to go to police academy in Bunnyville first to learn how to do a pull-up, but here. She gives him her carrot phone. Ten seconds later, Yes, reporter number 38. Uh, Officer Bunny character, will Superman be testifying again like last week? He's an amazing orator. Um, whew, is this thing on? Shit, I didn't realize making the world a better place would involve podiums. This is freaking me out. Um, DNA stands for something acid, something? Okay, that's all the time we have. Get out. The fox rolls his eyes and heads for the exit. The bunnies all wait. She walks over to him while the reporters watch in disinterested silence. The fox is all... Is that all I am to you? Just a bunch of CG chemicals? And I thought we had chemistry. I quit the force. He walks all the way back to the podium, does a mic drop, and bails again. One of the reporters, a seal, starts doing a slow clap. Over the ensuing week, society crumbles based on the bunny's explanation of DNA. The city's name is changed to Lord of the Fliesville, which the fly residents vigorously celebrate. As a token of his appreciation, the police chief offers the bunny character the police chief position. Deciding that with Zootopian ruins, her work here is done, the bunny returns to her parents' childhood dream for her to sell fruit by the freeway. Bunnies love freeways. Nothing happens for years. Suddenly, the bully fox who scarred her for life parks across the street to unload pies. Her dad's all, oh boy, blue flower pies. I love eating these because the filling's made from the blue flowers that grow by the side of the road here, which cause rabies, but they taste like nothing. The nine-year-old leans over to me again and whispers, scan her darkly. The bunnies all, oh my God, coincidences saved me again where my cop skills failed miserably. She steals a truck, spraying dirt in all their faces as she peels out. Her dad's all, can't you just take the train like before? Might be faster. She flips them all off and cruises away in a random direction. She goes to see her friend the fox who lives under a bridge now. She's all, blue flowers are being turned into meth, all in a sinister plot to give the term animal behavior unpleasant connotations. Not sure why I need you to come with me, but I'm also not sure why you would. I don't know what else to say. He raises the carrot phone and hits play. From it, her voice is all, how about I was dumb? Grasshoff's all, aww. The nine-year-olds all slowly turn to stare at her in annoyance. The fox of the bunny solved the crime by harassing a street vendor selling pornos, then kidnapping him and dangling him over the shark tank till he says exposition. They steal a lunchbox full of meth and hijack a train, which they crash and explode, killing hundreds, but luckily the lunchbox is safe because the fox stashed it inside himself. When they wake up, they're in a museum pit. The sheep lowers a gun at them and goes, 
by the way, I'm a traitor. The fox is all. Then why'd you help us earlier? The sheep's all. You'll find out in episode eight. Behind me, Leah snores excitedly. The sheep shoots them both. The fox and the bunny pretend to act for a bit, then reveal they somehow replaced the sheep's bullets with blueberries and turn out to have tape-recorded the entire movie. They point up at her and laugh. The fox is all. Looks like now you, E.W.E., have to go to prison. The bunny's all. Unless you can find some other way to kill us in this pit here. Luckily, the sheep's not very imaginative and turns herself into the nearest precinct. The fox satisfies his lifelong dream of becoming a meter maid with a perky partner. They arrest a sloth for driving a car. Then a llama comes on stage and sings about how progressively annoying life gets. The end. All right. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Uh, I finished my sandwich, by the way. Oh. Zootopia. Zootopia. So there are a couple of shout-outs to someone. You might want to explain to the listeners what that was. What's a, what's a grasshop, Kelly Wand? Yeah, come on. Uh, she's a fan who was telling me to see this movie and was insisting that we see it for a while. Yeah, she, she and her, her boyfriend, who are friends of the podcast, are very kind to the podcast. Uh, both suggested heartily that we see it. Great. Kelly Wand, how did you feel about uh, uh, us? Wait, wait. Do you feel that they would be disappointed in what you thought of the movie? These friends of ours who really liked it. Yeah, one of them wrote in, by the way, just so you know. Ah, interesting. Dingus, why don't you tell us what was it? Was it? Uh, t- tell us what comments were sent in and from whom. All right. The well, there's a lot. There's a lot of different comments. I'll feather them in later. But the comments you're referring to would be from uh, a fellow named Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's relieved that we have an actual all ages Disney movie. Finally, again. Wait, as opposed to what? An, a few ages Disney movie? Well, Wait, as, as opposed to something that's oh, just... oh, Marvel is Disney and Star Wars is here. Uh, right, I'm sorry. Right. I'm, I'm losing the corporate branding. Uh, yeah, right. right. Fair enough, fair enough. But also a lot of... Uh, I mean, Pixar is known for being able to... Um, I, I don't know. Expand their folders across a variety of uh, ages. Disney seems to target children more. And be a little more ham-handed in targeting adults. So Aaron also says he's glad it's not a musical, because often these movies uh, become musicals, and he was afraid it was going to do uh, devolve into a musical. I was really worried on that that train ride into Zootopia. I was like, oh, God, is this yeah. going to be a musical? Yeah, yeah. And, and finally, he says that uh, Jason Bateman is a good voice actor. Man, I agree, but I just can't get – well, you know, okay. Uh, so Kelly Wand uh, – What were you going to say? No, you, you can't avoid his voice. No, no. I, yeah, no, I, I think he's a great actor. I love his voice. I, I love him in an animated character. But I didn't feel he matched the fox at all, and I don't know if it was just uh, me. It really took me out of the movie. It, it, and the central relationship – I love Jennifer Goodwin in the rabbit animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Jason Bateman a lot as an actor. But he just – I felt like he didn't fit that fox. Like they drew it, and then later he did the – were they, were they a love interest? No, no. But so that was a huge – whereas Aaron – and I agree that he's a great voice actor. I mean he does great stuff with his voice. He's just so expressive with the way he talks. But I just didn't like him in this movie, his voice coming out of that fox's mouth. It was really distracting. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and another listener reading Chris Markinson said he was hoping that uh, Jason Bate was, was just going to play the same character he played in Bad Words. Uh, which i thought was hilarious yeah. uh if you're a jason bateman fan by the way i don't care for the movie the gift but he is so good in the gift and it makes me want to see him in atypical jason bateman performances like bad words yeah so all right uh, so kelly wand our friends uh quite like the movie heartily recommended it you go and you see it 
what do you tell these people who really loved the movie when it comes time to you discussing whether or not you loved it? Mm, I'm surprised they like it as much as they do, just because it seems very um, – it's very structured. It's very um, it's very chained to its plot. There's not a lot of goofing around in it, I didn't think, that much. Um, I feel like it sends a bad message. <laughs> ah, wow. so Kelly Wan, you have oh, previously wow. been on record as saying stuff like, oh, I don't care what kids learn from a movie. Actually, I'm assuming yeah, – I... <laughs> you, when you say a bad message, I'm assuming you mean to kids. Like you don't – yeah. you obviously don't care what message adults like us get. When you no. say you think it sends a bad message, elaborate a bit. I think it sends a bad message to kids to show animals using <laughs> cell phones and driving cars okay. because they'll be bummed and surprised that their pets don't do all that shit that it does in the movie and their pets shit everywhere and scratch the furniture and they live way too long and then they'll throw the pet out of a moving car. So like, no, you're not as cool as the fox. I'm going to call you on this because you said it sends a bad message and then you made a joke. So what do you actually mean? When you say it sends a bad message, because no, what I just said, I think, I think movies about. I don't believe you. you. You said it sends a bad message. I believe you had an actual intention behind that. Dingus, I'm going to relying on a joke. I'm going to take issue with you, Dingus, and then we'll see what Kelly Wan. I think he was just setting it up for the joke. So Kelly Wan, tell the truth. Do you really feel it sends a bad message, or were you setting up a joke? Is Dingus or I right? I, and I don't know the answer. I was being serious. <laughs> I don't. That's think a right. bad Never message. Forget. All right. What? <laughs> Because um, I do wonder about – and the thing is, this is something Dingus and I have talked about. Certainly it's very close to Dingus's heart because his son saw this movie and also really liked it, right, Dingus? Yeah, yeah, he really liked it a lot. What would you feel about what message, if any, he got from it? Do you have any reservations about that? Do you feel it was a, a positive message for him to get? Do you feel there was much of a message? I think there is a message, and I think there's a uh, – it, it might be sort of a – uh, a thing where you look into something and see it based on what's going on right now. But I think there's a relevant political message to be seen from it. I don't know that he's getting that necessarily, but I think there's a relevant political message. And I'm not just talking about sort of the, um, the surface, uh, things about racism that the movie is saying, but I think there's also sort of a political statement being said about the way we treat, uh, foreigners or the way we treat Muslims or the way that certain political candidates oh. might, but it might just be the way that I look at those things. I don't think that that's what my kid is getting out of it. I certainly don't, but I think that those are things that are um, under the surface messages that might resonate with people like me, but maybe not with my son, but that you can be anything you want. Well, maybe you can't. Well, you're going to have to work if you want to get those things. Um, it's the thing that I think kids could get out of this movie. So my problem with the message is Along the lines with what I was hoping Kelly was going to talk about, in that I feel like it's an awfully pat and convenient, and at times, like Kelly, you say it's too structured. I think it's too structured almost to its own detriment. Like, yeah. I, what do you mean so, by too structured? What sure, do you sure. Mean? Let me. So uh, there, there's a there there are bits in the movie where it seems to be saying we're going to give you a message that is. Impossible. Kind of subversive, that, that is not the usual message you get from these movies. We're not just going to give you some easy little message. That The movie says things like, you know, life isn't some cartoon where you sing an insipid song and your dreams magically come true. Uh, and later on, the movie says, real life is more complicated than a slogan on a bumper sticker. And I'm hearing this stuff and thinking, okay, cool, let's get to that stuff. You know, I want to hear that. Um, but then the movie ends, Dingus. And I think there, there there are deeper messages, but but I think the movie is confused about it because it ends with try to make the world a better place. Look inside yourself and recognize that change starts with you. 
word for word, that mm. is the, the the message the movie yeah. wants to leave kids with, and that does fit on a bumper sticker. Yeah. And, and what I what bothers me about this, not bothers me, kids can see. Like I don't think it's a, a net negative. I think ultimately, yeah, sure, let's show kids a, a, a sort of a heavy-handed movie about racism is bad. Fine, but I really would <laughs> rather a kid see something truly. Uh, Kind of subversive, like what Pixar does. You know, the Toy Story Two is about death. Uh, Up is about the inevitability of loss, among other things. But those are those are important parts of these stories. Right. Inside Out is basically saying, you know what? Sadness is a part of your life, and you're not going to be able to get away from it. And it's a, it's an important part of your life. It's an important part of your life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm glad you and, said that. Yeah. And, and Brave is, and I love this about Brave. Brave says, hey, your parents kind of know what they're doing, so. You know, chill and listen to them. I love that about Brave. Oh, it's okay to love your parents. Come on. Yeah, yeah. and and they and they're not stupid, and you don't know better than they do necessarily. Right, and, right. So those are awesome messages. And I see these movies, and I'm like, man, every kid should have to see these. I see this movie, and I'm like, yes. okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, racism bad, whatever. I wish you hadn't tidied it up and put this neat packet, this neat bow on the end that kind of makes everything like that makes no sense. Look inside yourself and recognize that change starts with you. So a kid watches this and thinks. Wow, I've, I've resented black people. I should change that. What? Because <laughs> that, that's not – kids what? being racist is not the issue, by the way, because kids get that from adults. It's adults yeah. that need to know not to be racist. Uh, it's the parents of kids who cause it. Kids are not naturally racist. And yeah, it's not – yeah, so uh, – yeah, I don't, I, you know, it's a laudable message, but it's too neatly packaged, and I just feel like it's a little too heavy when it does try to get into the stuff about – like, like I, I was a little uneasy with some of the stuff in here that I kind of feel was affirming the politics of cultural identity, which I, I'm not quite ready. You know, kids, what do you can, mean? kids okay. can deal with that when they get into college. When they're making jokes about, you know, bunnies can call other bunnies cute, but you can't call bunnies cute. That's obviously a reference to, like, maybe the N-word or Jews calling each other Jews, like – that that just I didn't think was really funny, and I'm not sure why they're making that joke in front of kids. And when uh, when uh, the rabbit says to the fox, you know, oh, uh, I thought you weren't like them, and the fox is like, oh, there's a them now, when that's yeah. clearly not what she meant. I mean, it, it's playing with this idea of what I feel is often oversensitivity to cultural identity politics, and I don't I don't think that's you know don't make jokes about that stuff in front of kids. You know, this don't, is why messages. Well, I, you know, I kind of thought that that cute thing, and, and I think Chris Markinson agrees with you, Tom. Because he's like, does cute equal the N word here? Um, for me, at that particular point, um, that cute thing was more like you, I, you know, I can say my sister's fat, but you can't. It, it, it was more like, um, well, I mean, that, I, I would I would like to agree with that, Dingus, but I think in the context of this movie, they were clearly going for, you know, the politics of cultural identity. I mean, because right, yeah, everything else is about it too. Yeah. Like the whole plot's about it, but it's also packaged in sort of a of like a routine, like a police mystery thing. I know, I right? Love about it, actually. That's kind of what oh, you did. Okay, well, go go ahead. Yeah. So Dingus says the overall structure of police mystery that Kelly says, and Kelly, I want to hear what you think about this as, as well. Dingus, you say you love that about that. Tell us why did the police mystery bit work for you? Because it because the movie surprised me. Um, at the beginning, I was kind of rolling my eyes about a lot of the uh, mom and dad, like you're gonna. If anybody tries anything new, you know, you're it, that whole uh, learn to settle. Uh, yeah. 
lesson that her father's trying to teach her that as long as you don't try anything new, you'll never fail. I mean, you kind of want to punch that guy in the face. Um, but then the movie, it, it gets into my wheelhouse. And this is one of the things that I really begin to really like about the movie is that it kind of becomes a cartoon noir. And, and it goes through a lot of those things that you, you would see in something like The Big Sleep, of course, much dumber, um, dumb bunny. Uh, or even like in in the really, I mean, I, I suppose Looney Tunes actually did this even better than this movie does it, so maybe that's unfair. Um, but it, it kind of got this noirish feel to it, um, albeit in a cartoon way. I would call it cartoon noir. Uh, about racial and I, inclusion. What? Just that that's it's it's part of it's and it's selling racial inclusion. But it being sustained in the that's framework of, of what works for him is a noir structure, you know. And yeah, it, so it, is a noir structure is is this is this hero's journey, but the noir hero, the, so, the darker hero who you know, who is a little bit dumb, is trying to figure things out, but trying to solve a case, bringing along a partner who's. Um, a little uh, shady, um, but that she has to rely upon to get certain things done. She has to rely on a shady character to get things done. And she has to bribe people. She has to do things that are uh, questionable. Um, she's, you know, she's basically blackmailing him. It uh, is kind of like the kitty version of noir, is it? Like not nearly as dark as actual noir, except in a, in a kitty version of like her throwing the pen over the gate so that he's got to break and enter and then blackmail him. Like it's not noir where the detective completely compromises any morality and he's just as corrupt as the criminals, but it is kind of the, the kitty version of that. I like that take. Dingus. And, and then as we get to the end, and it turns out that the whole blueberry thing, which I totally saw coming, mainly because I just saw... Oh, I'm so dumb about that. That's one of the things I was like, very clever movie, And so, but you saw that coming. That one that one got me, Dingus. <laughs> but that, that's only because uh, my son and I have watched Fantastic Mr. Fox a couple times over the last couple of months, and there's a whole blueberry thing with the dogs. And so when um, when he makes a, a when he pops the blueberry in his mouth and he's like I thought you guys only did carrots I was like blueberries okay I see where you're going um, but that's just because I've been watching Fantastic Mr Fox it's not because I'm I'm clever at all but did, um, did you know they were going to uh, substitute the little blue pellet with a blueberry because that's what caught me as soon as they shot him in the neck I knew it was a blueberry okay and then I realized that they set that whole thing up and, and I think that's a real interesting. A sort of weird subversion that it wasn't just him pretending and scaring her, but it was that the two of them had set right. this up. They had right. set it up in order to trap her. And that I think that has another sort of noir element to it, which is what I liked. And again, you're right. It is kitty or cartoon noir. It's not the, the kind of noir that really gets to me that I love. I love that genre so much. But that's one of the reasons that I actually kind of like this movie is because it goes in that direction for me. And, and Kelly Wan, so you're, you're saying like you feel that, yeah, but it's doing it in the service of uh, of a movie about racism is bad, right? And uh, so I'm kind of with you in that I would be – if they wanted to make a Kitty Noir movie, I'd, I'd be happy to see that. Yeah. But the fact that it's a Kitty Noir movie that's, that's also pretending to have this important message about racism, that impacted my enjoyment of it. I mean I – It's a too many cooks. So. It, it kind of is. It's sort of like too like, – 
Dingus, we saw a movie that you really liked and that I didn't like. I liked the two halves of it called Mid- – you know what? I liked it. I didn't like it as much as you called Midnight Special, Jeff Nichols' most recent movie. Mm. It does a couple of different things, and you were totally on board with both of them, and you thought they worked well together. My problem with it, because I think I liked the individual components as much as you, is I didn't feel they worked that well together for me personally. And that's kind of a situation here is I felt the Kitty Noir stuff was cute, but it just didn't work with the racism message. So I can see it's a very, I can see someone appreciating that part of it, but I just was it just felt like like Kelly said like too many cooks like why waste a perfectly good movie on one or the other of these I mean why waste it trying to do both of these when you could focus on one or the other and make I don't I don't know uh, where do you think the racism message message really comes through in the whole biology argument No oh my god that's another thing is so the movie is basically telling us. Don't be prejudiced, right? Is don't whatever you believe about predators. But the natural quote, order. <laughs> and that it's using the natural order as a basis for this, I think is ultimately yeah. a little confusing because, yeah. because, you know, there is a historical basis for prey to be suspicious of predators. It's yeah. not like this is, this is not a cultural issue. This is a biological imperative, you know. Right. And for whatever reason. This it's, is what I was saying before, and you guys made fun of me. Like, it's basically saying this. Nature fits our our will essentially. Like we could use it to tell any message we want. Um, well, there's a difference between anthropomorphism and applying to the animal kingdom a uniquely human uh, cultural situation. Animals eat each other, though, and it's well, like, animals eat each other, but they're not racist against each other. You know, they right. they have they have a they have a particular order that's part of the circle of life. They have to eat each other. Yeah. That's how it works. Yes. Yeah, I was um, going to say circle of life, and that's an excellent way to bring it up because of the Lion King understands how to deal with it head on. Exactly, Ding. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. There's a little more nuance, and so well, here they're just people. And see, the Lion King though it, it, it does that message, and it's a retelling of Hamlet. Right. Like I think the Lion King is, is doing two different things. I mean, uh, it's kind of a little point. unfair to compare a classic like the Lion King to this. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, briefly, that gets to my over/under. Is I was just looking at other Walt Disney Animation Studio movies that I liked or didn't like, and rather than bracket it too closely, I just think a movie that works even worse than this, uh, and things I think you kind of were into this, Big Hero 6 completely bounced off of me <laughs> as just just packaged product. Um, none of that worked for me. It looked like it was there to sell toys. It was an adaptation of some comic book that I didn't get. Um, so that's my under. This is considerably above Big Hero because... I really liked Judy Hopp as a character. I loved Jennifer Goodwin's uh, performance, and that's kind of pretty much all the good stuff I can say about it. But that's a lot of good stuff. I mean, from moment to moment, that sustained me really having a good time watching it. Uh, but this isn't as good as another recent Walt Disney Animation Studios movie uh, called Tangled, which is a great retelling of the standard princess thing, not as subversive as uh, Brave, uh, but very formulaic, very conventional. And just so irresistible and charming and uh, and just clever and well-paced. Um, Are you bracketing that? No, not at all. Not at okay, all. Okay, good, yeah, because Tangled I'm, is out of this world as well, far as this movie is concerned. It, it is, but like, if I wanted to unbracket it even more, like I think even better than Tangled, and these are also Walt Disney Animation Studio movies, uh, Lilo and Stitch and Emperor's New Groove. Those are just fantastic bits of work from the, the, the studio that uh, – yeah, so if I wanted to unbracket it – I could go farther. Um, That's a good point. I think Emperor's New Groove gets a message across 
much much more slyly, if you'll excuse the term, or subtly than this movie. The, the, the embarrassment I think about this movie, and I did like this movie, um, but it is embarrassing when you feel like you're being preached at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. And then kids know that, so they instantly tune out. Well, Kelly, what would you do for an over-under then? See, my over, and this to me, it's a it's a Disney movie, and it's by far my favorite Disney cartoon, but I think I'm alone in this one. Mm-hmm. But it's so message-free, and it's got a devil-may-care fox character. Um, oh, oh, I know where you're going. Go on. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Is it the Robin Hood one? Yeah! yeah. I love that one! Yeah, that super Hot Maid Marion. Oh. Fuck yeah! I know. She is a fox. <laughs> oh my gosh. Really? What? Oh gosh. What do you mean really? Why are you saying really? It's just weird it's just, to hear you say – actually, what it calls to mind is one of our listeners, Robert Craig Cruz, is asking if there's chemistry between Bunny and Fox in this movie. Oh. Mm, I wouldn't – I didn't – I don't know. Well, the fact it that – like, force to me. I, well, it's, it's, for me, it was just a problem with Jason Bateman is I just couldn't unsee his face in that Fox – you know, if I were to close my eyes and listen to this movie, I could imagine, yeah, maybe there is, but I just – He didn't get, seem to like her. In the movie, his mm, they warm up at first, but I thought they warmed up well enough. As far as the, what the movie was trying yeah. to do, I, I thought it seemed uh, like they were trying to. I don't know. I was surprised when she offered him the cop job. You, you and I have very <laughs> uh, are very demanding when it comes to to uh, what we feel is and isn't chemistry. How, how did you feel about it? No, I didn't think that was in there. Now, is is Robert Perry Cruz who wrote in? Is he saying he did feel they had good chemistry? I think he was. I think okay. he is saying that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he, he also my, and he also differs from you uh, in that he, he's saying that he thinks – I think he said he had a blast, but he was also asking, is Disney out Pixaring Pixar? Ew, no. Which I think you absolutely disagree. <laughs> yeah, please, Robert Perry. Who thinks that? That's crazy talk. <laughs> I think no, he's just asking. He's posing the question. I'm not but sure. But he also that. went to see it with his family, and I think he, he took his kids, and I think he had a great time, which I totally understand. Dinosaurs, Pixar, too. Um, Oh my god! Oh, oh Kelly. Kelly Wan, thanks for bringing the room down. Yeah. Dinosaur. Uh, Ugh. Uh, the good dinosaur? Is that what you're talking about? Is uh, that what I, what I said? Good dinosaur. Uh, 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 do you guys remember the Great Mouse Detective? No. Is that a Sherlock Holmes thing? Yeah, but it was Disney. And right. It was like the first CG. It was like Big Ben was the first. It was like the first CG in an animated movie. I vaguely remember that. I don't remember any specifics about it. Uh, I just remember really liking that one. And being surprised there was no – that didn't become a franchise. Well, I don't think thinking ever... that, that was real chemistry. Right. Like it was more of bromance chemistry. But like that was my alternate over. So then what would be your under? Your oh. over is your, some of your favorite uh, Disney Animation Studio movies. What, what would be your under? Uh, Noah. <laughs> All right. Explain, <laughs> Kelly Wand. <laughs> Just, a Darren Aronofsky uh, movie is not as good as Zootopia. Animals – Animals uh, <laughs> acting according to human whim. That's kind of what Zootopia is. What were they feeding all those lions? Oh my gosh. Uh, all right, Dingus. She's all snakes are coming on. Fuck. Dingus, like, how that's you pop that with, with an over and under? I'm not. I'm just going to use buddy cops. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Because, you know, I I think Dingus, ultimately, the noir thing is a little bit too subtle and too adult-oriented. I think the more familiar trope, at least for kids, would be, oh, it's a buddy cop movie. So... And and that's the that's the way the movies kind of you know when I when I write up my little mini thing that we go with like the miniopsis that's non spoilery, I look at all the different genres that people put up, 
Uh, and one of them was a buddy cop movie. I don't think that of this is a buddy cop movie in that way because one of them is a criminal. Um, so th- that's why my oh right, I, I mean one of them is a cop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my under is forty eight hours, which is not a movie I care for that much. But one of them's a criminal. Yeah, one of them's a criminal. Perfect. You don't like forty eight hours? Yeah, actually, wait. Let's you bury the lead. Good. Explain yourself, Dingus. What the heck? I, I just don't find it that funny because I think uh, Nick Nolte is totally annoying. <laughs> No way, rules. Yeah, he's like trying to be like he's a hard ass. He's not being like the lovable hard ass. I know, I know. I just find him annoying. He's super funny. I've never gotten the Nick Nolte thing. Okay, well, thing is, if you really want to find Nick Nolte annoying, what's the movie where he goes hiking with Robert Redford? Shoot, what is that? Oh my god, The Walk in the Woods? Yeah, is that what it's called? Oh, the, oh my god! The Bill so, Bryson book. I love that book so much. There's no right. way I will ever watch that. I will not let that book be solid. Cause I that's love right. I told that you book. about this movie, and you were like based on the book, and I had no idea what you were talking about. And yeah, so don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I gave that book to our neighbor because I love that book so much. It's such a great movie. I mean, it's such a great book about walking the Appalachian Trail. Uh, not now. Now it's a stupid political aphorism, but <laughs> um, uh, but it's it's so well written, and Bill Bryson is such a great writer. Um, and so when I heard that was coming out, I'm, there's no way I'm going to ever watch that. And I can't, I'm not a big, I'm not a fan of Nick Nolte. He drives me nuts. Well, Robert Redford is okay. I mean, whatever. But if you really want Nick Nolte to destroy a story, uh, Walk in the Woods is, is, is uh, that's for you, Dinkus. I'd, I'd like to see some sort of a duel between Nick Nolte and Nick Cage to see which one could, like, over. Wow, talk about a buddy cop movie I'd like. Yeah. yeah. A Nick off. All right. So you're, uh, uh, you're, under is 48 hours. Interesting. My under is 48 hours, and part of that is ruined by the fact that I saw another 48 hours in a theater. Ew. And are both directed by Walter Hill? Or, or yeah. What? Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate. I just remember seeing that movie and seeing I, – I think I went to see it with my dad. Um, the, yeah. the, there, there's these shotgun blasts that happen where somebody gets shot, and, and they get thrown like through walls, like 12 and it's so clear that the person has been rigged and is being just yanked by some sort of a cable through all of these walls, and it's just so unbelievably ridiculous. Wait, shot- James James Remar might be in it. I'm not Shotguns sure. don't do that. You're saying? Uh, no, they they're not going to knock you. They're not going to knock a hu- a 200 pound human being 12 feet. Dingus, I've played a lot of video games. I think I know better than you about that. <laughs> all right, you are okay. I will defer to you on that. <laughs> Uh, so wait, you're, you're not putting another 48 hours as your over. So what? No, 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 no. Okay. No. My over is the other guys. Wow, Ding is finally picking a Dwayne Johnson movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> uh, well, not love. Love might be too strong. Um, I really do like. I like that movie a lot. It's it is a buddy guys. cop movie. It's it is two cops. Um, Who's and the I other really... cop? Kelly Wan, you, I would think you would enjoy that. Ding is 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 that a Kelly Wan movie? Is it I Wahlberg? Would, I would think so. It's it's Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell, uh, and the two cops at the beginning, of course. Oh uh, yeah, Eva um, Mendes, right? And and Eva Mendes. The oh ridiculous thing is how Will Ferrell is like. I have a super hot wife. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Thing is, do you remember the thing is that she's so ugly? Oh, that, she's so ugly. Oh, yeah, and he's like, I can't believe. It. Like that's the joke they're trying to make is that he thinks she's super ugly, and everyone sees her and she's super hot. I did not understand that joke at all. Yeah, yeah, that, that joke was weird. Yeah. And and that's why I didn't remember the joke, I guess. Yeah. And it's uh and Dwayne Johnson and Samuel Jackson as the, the super cops at the beginning with their oh super hot car, and then they jump off like like aim for the bushes. Um, that mo- that movie's got a lot going for it, uh, and so I would put it just above this. Is Daddy's Home the same characters? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think Kiernan said he just saw that and he really liked it. 
Interesting. Uh, okay, so are you guys with me, though, on how awesome as a character, animation-wise, Jennifer Goodwin's uh, uh, voice acting? Were you guys as crazy about Judy Hopp as I was? Yeah, yeah. I, no, no, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I really liked her, and, and that's, you know, I, I hesitated to bring up Inside Out because I didn't just want to do in animation, um, but I do like the way that character works. Uh, I like the way that she works quite yeah. a so you're with She's us, a good character. Long. Yeah, it's. I don't like where the story goes. I don't like where the story puts her. I feel like. I think well, she's a fine character. One of the things that I got the sense she watching well. this is that it didn't seem so much her story. I mean, she's the main character, but it, it felt like a like this is one adventure, and not even an origin story. It's like, like I I almost expect they're going to make a whole bunch of adventures of Judy Hopp movies, hmm. um, which I would kind of be okay with. What? With Bateman? That's the thing is I don't I, I guess they're setting it up that they need to be that they're a team, but I wouldn't mind if they cut Jason Bateman and just made this awesome, adorable, enthusiastic rabbit uh, the, the lead character. She was so good and those big old eyes and what they would do with her ears and stuff. Um, yeah. So That's it's true, and actually I'm trying to think of like other bunny characters that I'm trying to think of other relentlessly optimistic characters that are that don't like that, that aren't annoying. Well, she's aren't. kind of a, a Leslie uh, s- nope. nope. Leslie Nope, yeah. Yeah, she's kind of a Leslie Nope of the police force, but anthropomorphized bunny wise. Which like makes her. you think of Inside Out, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, so that's another thing is that's Joy, isn't she named Joy? That's, she's Joy, but and I so it was after like I had watched so much Parks and Rec when I saw that movie, like her, her voice is so vivid in my mind, but I didn't have that problem with how Pixar represented her. And inside mm. out, and it looks nothing like her. I mean, I don't know what they did. So I don't know why Jason Bateman, who, you know, I've seen so many episodes of Arrested Development. I love this guy. I don't know why I had a problem with his Fox, but I didn't have a problem with Amy Poehler's weird little Joy character. I, I just don't know what that is. Yeah, that is weird. I thought maybe Bateman. He sounded a little bored, which I realize the character is supposed to be kind of chill, but he didn't sound very engaged. I thought it does maybe. look like the Fox. They were trying to make it like super sly and super sneaky and a, maybe yeah. a little bit malicious. Like that was the drawing they were trying to do. But his or, voice was like, mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like so laid back and, and disinterested. And, yeah. Yeah. I had no problem with any of that. I, what I had problem with was his silly little origin monologue, which made me want to, uh, yeah, yeah. That uh, one's for the kids, Dingus. That's not for us. <laughs> All right. Yeah, fine. See, that's the thing. I think nine-year-old girls would like the movie. So what – you know, what do we know? Uh, well, yeah. It, well, we it made $75 million, so yeah, we don't know much. Yeah, uh, it's 98. Uh, okay, you guys both, uh, before we transition out, tell me a part that you actually thought was really funny. Dingus, do you have one? Because there's a lot of this that didn't work for us, I presume. What's a moment, Dingus, that you were like, yep, I'm laughing, that's hilarious, that worked for me? Well, first of all, before I tell you that, I just love Jenny Slate. Um, oh, which one was she? The she? She's ew. Bellwether. Ew. What do you mean, ew? Yeah, I didn't like that. Cause, uh, uh, well, I didn't know it was Jenny Slate, and I... Uh, I, uh, I a thankless role. Kind of a thankless role, and I don't know that I'm... I, I, I just actually, It doesn't I, even matter that it's her or the lion. Spoiler alert! I, I go ooding is just because I she her and uh, Ben Schwartz I always thought were too annoying to be in Parks and Rec. Like I know they're supposed to be annoying, but it was too effective for me. So I associate uh, I associate Jenny Slate with that. I haven't seen Obvious Child. Uh, I should see more stuff she's in. But that's that was my reaction thing is to ooh is she annoyed me in Parks and Rec.
mission accomplished she was supposed to. Uh, yeah, but she was wh- supposed to, but I, I, I really liked her in this. And when I when I uh, was driving home with my son today who saw Zootopia weeks ago, mm-hmm. I'm like, do you know who played Bellwether? And he looked it up on the phone, and so he right, dropped right. the phone, and he was like, oh, my gosh, it's Jenny's late. Yeah, because he loves uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. Um, hmm. Do you guys know what a Bellwether is, by the way? This this bothered me, and th- this is one of those things that if Why I – Why does that bother me, you? That works. Uh, okay, it bothers me because a weather is a a, a, a gelded – it's a castrated ram. It's a dude sheep. <laughs> weather is – the bellwether, it's the leader of a flock. It's a ram that's been castrated. The flock follows it. They're just thinking up sheep words. You know, a bellwether is not a chick sheep. I'm sorry. So that well, – I don't know why you have to be binary about this. Maybe she's transitioning. Who knows? It's just the family name. To their credit, it's your name. To their credit, they spelled it right, though. I mean, if they got it wrong, if they pulled the McGee break thing, like uh, in the Terminator movie, then I would have been really incensed. But as it was, he doesn't even spell McGee right. All right, so uh, so that worked for you. So, Dingus, what's something though that you thought uh, was legitimately really, really, really funny? All right, I really liked the. Uh, you think when she goes to sleep, she counts herself. Mm. What was that? Obviously, bellwether theme. Right? <laughs> it, it's, oh, she counted sheep. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you know what? Wait. Goes to sleep, she counts herself. So, Dingus, if if, you, if I'd known a sheep was saying that, I would have agreed that it was funny when you said it, and I wasn't realizing it was a sheep thing. All right, good. Okay. Um. What really worked for me uh, – so uh, this – I didn't think it was really funny but really clever. I loved the differences in the scales of the animals. So I liked the action sequence when she goes into Little Rodentia because so far she's been super tiny compared to things. And when she's mm-hmm. super giant, that was a great visual concept. Uh, she's super – Oh, yeah. The, the different scales of the animals is great in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so visually that was a, a huge treat. But – this thing that I really thought was funny, and I really feel dopey for thinking it was funny, uh, all of the postures in the nudist colony. And <laughs> I to joke about them having no genitals, but I just thought that stuff was hilarious, and her reacting, much like Colossus to Gina Carano's top coming down, like all of that stuff I thought was really cute, and uh, I laughed at. I didn't get any of that. I, I didn't understand – because you know, they're not wearing clothes, Dingus. Yeah, but why do they care if there's if there's no genitals? I mean, they because didn't. Because get... it's the joke, Dingus. You got the joke. You should be laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got it. It's All a right, Disney joke you. from Disney about Disney. Kelly, want surely there's some <laughs> there's some joke in there that really worked for you, right? Um, I liked when the howling and the guard shack was loud. I that I so. I thought that was funny as well, and it distracted stupid, stupid wolves. I, you know what? I like. Oh, I did like that. How that was a thing. Like yeah. you're going to start yeah. a thing. Like that was like, yeah. like they're all crack addicts trying to keep it together, and that's their job. It reminded yeah. me more of the humor about Doug and Up. Like that dogs are easily distracted by some silly squirrels. Yeah, yeah. squirrels are, are howling. Yeah. It reminded me of the of what happens to the weasels in Roger Rabbit. That if 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 I think oh, yeah. what happens if if one of them starts laughing, then it's just going to get contagious, right. and then we're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, which is a far guess. better. Uh, I should have thought of that beforehand. A far better understanding of what comic of, of cartoon noir should be. Uh, tell me something that was so groan-inducingly terrible. Dingus, do you have one to go first? Oh boy, uh, something that was so groan-inducing terrible. Yeah, that was not funny. Groan-inducingly terrible. Like, uh, like there was a terrible joke that just misfired that didn't work. That if you were the producer, you would say, "Hey guys, lose that." Um, I, I, 
Can I, I go first? I then, just, or do I yeah, go ahead. You can go ahead. Go uh, the bit about the pirated DVDs all being like other Disney animated yeah. studio movies. Yeah. Oh my god. god. Oh please, god. I mean, I hate that. Pop culture references drive me batty enough, especially when we're trying to do it's an marketing. awesome. We're trying to do an awesome alternate universe thing. But yeah, exactly. It's totally. They're just Disguise. wanting to get that brand in there, and and they're even not only that. It's not like, hey, we have to make an inside joke to our other, other movies. It's like, hey, we have to pimp uh, Frozen mm-hmm. 2 and the thing about the Maori woman. And uh, oh my God, that's. That uh... Yeah, and Shark Tale is a horror movie called uh, The Hook instead of The Ring because The Ring was also DreamWorks. And Hook was DreamWorks? Well, no, the hook was there. Was the fish version of the ring because they're fish. Oh, I see. As being a reference to the ring and the culture rabbit. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, thing is, what's something that you were like? Nope, doesn't work for me. You're trying to be funny. You're not funny. This is. This wasn't funny. It was more uh, message oriented, and why? Uh, you know, I have to say, I have to give Kelly credit for what he said about messages. And this is when she uses the word articulate, when she says, "You're a real articulate fella." After that whole thing at the counter at the ice cream stand. Ew. See, that's Um, ew. I didn't even catch that one. No, wait. What's your What's your problem with that though? My problem is that articulate is a is a is a is a watchword for like uh, I'm a white person. I've got a lot of black friends. My black friend is really articulate. Barack Obama. He's so articulate. Dog whistle racism, basically. Yeah, and and her like saving him from the line and 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 all of that and saying you're a real articulate fella. It's just so it's not, it's not the message itself. It's just it's so clunky. I mean, honestly, we all, we all know what that word means as far as how it's been used recently politically and politically correctly. But to say but to say like to say it like that, you're a real articulate fella. I was like, ugh. I mean, it just like was just such a. You really felt like that thing just clunking onto the ground. True story. I'm not making this up. I was uh, giving blood recently, and the physician's assistant at my little doctor's office who drives me batty. He insists on talking about himself. He is just so unattentive. He wants to try to draw blood from me and had to fish around in there for a couple of, like, he had to stick me a couple of times and I almost passed out. So I'm in there waiting to give blood, dreading having to deal with this guy, and he's doing the intake stuff with one of the, with a little boy where he, like, you know, does his, his blood pressure and weighs him and puts a little thing on his finger for his pulse. And he's talking to the little boy, and I'm like, this kid is totally seeing through you. You're not tricking anyone and at one point he says to the little boy you should read books more often you know it makes you more more uh more um what's that word articulate (laughs) and he wasn't making a joke he really couldn't think of the word articulate wow that's amazing (laughs) yeah i was like bad message that is amazing that's great kelly wand what's the moment for you that you're like nope not working for me yeah uh I don't like Godfather jokes. Oh my god, I'm the same with you there. Like uh, pop culture stuff. Like oh, that was yeah, way too, that was easy. too easy. So I did like. If I think just, I, I think I. Asked, uh, sorry, Tom. Well, I, I did I, like the whole Mr. Big reveal that he was a little tiny thing. But then when I saw it, they were going to do Godfather riffs. So I was like, keep oh, going. Yeah, yeah, way to ruin yeah. what could have been a cute joke. Yeah, yeah. And Who's I that have, for? The kids are going to get it, and the adults. Right. Will, if you right. think that's funny, <laughs> well, that's Utopia what, is too. That's what Aaron Vaughn is is thinking that it's for all of us. That's kind of oh, I get, yeah. See, the thing is, if you're going to be a movie for kids and adults, the references you're doing for either of them respectively have to work. They have to not be groan-inducing. Who's now, the I, Godfather ref- joke for? Everyone? For me. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it, for adults. It's for guys it's, in their 40s who are like, yeah. yeah, Godfather's brilliant. I'm not. Yeah, I saw that movie, so this is funny. 
And, I, and I'm afraid, and I don't watch trailers. Everybody knows this about me, but I accidentally saw part of the Jungle Book trailer, and I think there's the same joke in there. Ew. All right. Who's the Godfather? In the... Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm afraid it's, it's King. I think I think King Louis might be it. But again, I I just maybe really? it was just that I was that I had just seen this movie, um, and I was Godfather accepted by it. Uh, yeah, Disney maybe. Godfather jokes. Yeah. Kelly Wan, did you uh, deduce? Did you get any like uh, I don't know, maybe dating tips, or did you learn anything about uh, relationships from this movie? Um, I am like that without the blueberry flowers. One two three, yeah. me, let me go. I'm eighty Yes. So, as you guys know, math is my strong point. There is bad – I'm pretty sure I have identified bad math in this movie, and I, I'm worried that what it's going to teach children is wrong. Well, they're good so at multiplying. They say, they say – no, not that kind of math. The thing is they say that 90% of the city is prey, 10% are predators. Then at one point, I think it's Bellwether says that the predator to the prey are 10 to 1. One of those is wrong, correct? Ten to one is not ninety percent. That would be nine to yeah, one, it's right? Yeah, one hundred ten percent. Yeah. So I'm so back me up on this. This movie teaches children bad math, right? Does nine to one sound weird though? Like they'll go, wait, that's eight. I'm I'm nine years old. Ergo. Well, you don't. You're just there. You articulate. They can be. You're gonna confuse the issue if you try to do like ten to one and then a percentage. But maybe it is ten to one, and it's not a percentage. It's but ninety percent is not ten thousand people. And yes, it's not. You're okay. You belong. You tell you You deserve but, to learn math from Zootopia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's do a three by three that does not involve math. Yeah. I guess I'll be the first one then. What? What? Kylie? I was doing a Judy Bops one. I guess I'll have to be the first one. The first math. Are you calling Judy Hops Judy Bops now? Is that your attempt to like call BB-8 Beep Bop? Yeah, she bops around. Judy hey. Hop has a perfectly cromulent name. There's no reason to give her a new one, Kelly Wan. I tried to call BB-8 F1, F4, and you guys wouldn't take it. You guys were having none of it. All F9. Uh, this week we're doing a 3x3 three three on sieges. That's um, right. At least two of mine involve math. What? All right, great. Ten to one. Ding, <laughs> one of Dingus's is one of mine. So you're saying there's a ninety percent chance that you guys? Okay. Dingus if there's are, a one percent chance Ben Affleck is going <laughs> to direct Batman. It's a certain. I swear to God, I cannot believe that line was in that movie. I left for that line. I saw it in the trailer, and I was like, "Well, somebody was smart to take that out." And nope. He says that Wally. He he sounds like he's near tears when he says, "Like there's a one percent chance." Like yeah, if there's a 1% chance, it's a certainty, which is not what a 1% chance is. That movie is worse at math than Zootopia. Ooh. Wait, so I don't belong in Gotham City? Okay, this is my poor math? You belong everywhere. Mm. Aw. Dingus, you, you start us off. You're introducing next week's 3x3, three three, so what's your third favorite siege in a movie? And I just want to say... You, these, that, that's not what you, how you introduce the topic, though. What are you talking about? It's sieges that don't suck. Oh, every siege rules. That was a weird disclaimer. Not I the one in Jane has. I was just right, right, I was, uh, like, right. I'm assuming that people's that sieges that suck are not among someone's favorites. Ten to okay. one sieges. Uh, sieges that don't suck, and they can also be your favorite. That's what I accidentally picked. I just do want to say though, regarding the word siege, three by three cops are on patrol. 
there will be zero tolerance. But do you want to define it before a we siege. go in? Yeah, yeah. Siege is not a battle. I don't want any nonsense about, oh, the Battle of Hoth is a siege. No. A siege is <laughs> defenders inside a place holding out against attackers. Wait, that's what happens in Hoth, though. No, it's not, Kelly. One, they're leaving. It's a retreat. It's an assault and a retreat. There's no siege at Hoth. A siege involves, like, sitting there and waiting. There's, there's Han Solo a, didn't leave. He had to use garbage again like he did in the other movie. No, he did leave. What are you talking about? What? Well, yeah, think, but... think that hiding... Uh, no, he led. Kelly Wan, don't try to talk Star He hit his way... Leave it to the professional. The Lando system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelly, we'll, we'll get you out on the Falcon. <laughs> so, that said, and I'm sh- I'm okay with you two. I just... The listeners, I don't... No shenanigans, listeners. The cops are patrolling. So Dingus My number Spark- one's Hoth, by the way. <laughs> right? My number two is Brain Scan. If you want to go to jail. Right, That's the can- ultimate siege, isn't it? Start us out with... Uh, <laughs> With your number three favorite siege that doesn't suck. All right, my number three is uh, here's a quote from it: "Crops can be resown, homes rebuilt. Within these walls, we will outlast them." Masada. This is from uh, Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. This is, of course, um, <laughs> uh, one of the ones I thought of. I mean, I, actually, I Why thought are you of all, laughing at him, Kelly Wand. All three of these uh, came to me immediately. God. Um, and I told Tom at some point this week that I was having such a fun time with this topic because I got, I watched all three of these movies and, um, that are my picks. Uh, and I have not seen these movies in uh, quite a few years, actually. Um, not all three of the LOTR movies, but all three of my picks. Um, I watched all three of them and, uh, cause these, these three sieges, I really love these three sieges. I mean, these are really, this is a really rich, fertile topic tom um but but the helm's deep siege uh where everybody has to all the all the rohan all the people of rohan have to fall back to helm's deep and the women and children and the old people and whatever have to go into uh, the caves and and how they have to lay have to lay in for the siege and prepare for it and the way that um the king is king of rohan is talking about the fact that we can outlast them what they don't understand is that Saruman has figured out how to breach the wall because of Wormtongue. He understands that this is not going to be a siege. This is not going to be a long-term thing. And one of the things that I had difficulty with Tom was was kind of was wondering, well, how long does something have to last for it to be a siege? Like, uh, I mean, if if I hope I'm not scooping anybody, but you know, does. Uh, Shelly Duvall, not Shelly Duvall, what's her name? Shelly Duvall, Shining, is that what she's Yeah, saying? going in the bathroom, that's not a siege. Um, but but how long <laughs> well, does it have to last for it to be a seizure? Is there like a laying up of goods, laying up of supplies, and a preparation? Um, so I was wondering about all of those things, but I love um, Helm's Deep, and I loved the opportunity actually to watch, and I went ahead and watched Fellowship as well before watching Two Towers, because I was kind of uh, thinking about a moment in fellowship that might also apply. Um, but I was really, really just preparing to be able to watch both movies to get to the point of Helm's Deep because I love that siege so much. This is a great topic, Tom. Did you know, Dingus, that historically the elves did not show up at Helm's Deep? That that's a creative liberty that Peter Jackson took. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Are you serious? Yep. Isn't that true? Back me up on this, Kelly Wand. Isn't that true? I've been told that. I don't know for sure. Mm, it's half true because the half elves came. <laughs> no such thing. Oh, it's such uh, a great moment though because of because of the stakes. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like if you're immortal and you show up for a battle, big, you know, if you're going to die anyway and you show up for a battle, whatever, you lose a few years. If you're immortal, you say that, 
There's no such thing as half elves. In in uh, Tolkien lore, elves don't have sex with uh, humans. Elf. Nobody has sex in Tolkien, right? Am I not mistaken on that? No, no one has sex. Yeah. Oh, but so when they kind of when they show up, it's it's such a big deal, as, you know, especially for Aragorn because of his history in this in these movies. But I I, I kind of look at the movies as different from the books. Um, but when the when those elves show up to help them, um, it's such a huge thing and such a great contrast to my number two pick. Um, what that means for them to lose their lives there when they could have gone off to right. to to immortality and they choose to do this instead. Um, man, I love that moment so much. That, by the way, is a as far as a, a dramatic device. Like that's a big part of sieges is the cavalry riding to the rescue. Right, 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 right. Kelly Wand, what's your third favorite siege? And and I'm warning you again, Kelly Wand, zero tolerance in effect. Sam gets laid at the end. Mm. No, they just frolic. No, jumping on the bed with Frodo doesn't count. I think something happened with Gandalf and Pippin between the second and the third movies, just because of the way they look at each other. It, uh, minus Tirith, another good siege. Also not in the books. Mm. Mori is a good siege, too. That's not my number three. My number three is a movie starring Dean Martin and Ricky Nelson. Uh-oh. I don't know who that second guy is, but uh-oh. So one of the Nelsons. And John Wayne, and it's called Rio Bravo. Oh, a Western. Good. I'm glad, because I, I know so little about Westerns. I'm glad someone... Oh, Ricky Nelson was in that? The, yeah. The, the, the pop star guy? Yeah. Wow. wow. Rick, it, it had two singers and John Wayne. So, oh, cat. So what's the but, siege in it, Kelly Wan? Describe it to me. There's like... Uh, here's the thing that you may find vaguely interesting, is it's the movie <laughs> that Assault on Precinct 13 was a remake of. What? So it's the same thing where they got to protect the criminal who is trying to be killed by people outside. Like the criminal's trying, trying to be killed. <laughs> He's trying to be killed by people outside. Right. No. no, I get what you're saying. I accept your bluff. <laughs> so we have to get up at 6 in the morning in Germany, which is like 2 a.m. in other countries. That's also kind of an important ingredient of, siege, of a siege, too, is what's the precious thing right. that the attackers are trying to get in and get? Mm-hmm. We know What are the stakes for you protecting it? Why don't you just bail? Why don't you just run off? Yeah. Yeah. And also, if I couldn't think of the reason I picked it is it's also I think the first siege movie I could think of where it was like a big I'm sure there's stuff where it was like a, there's a siege genre. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, historically, like like Rourke's Drift or the Alamo mm. sieges are uh, you know they're part of military history, and I'm sure. Yeah, but the Alamo is not like a hey, let's. It's not about the besieged being the heroes trying to break like an impossible situation. The Alamo is not about the besieged being heroes. Kelly Wand, <laughs> every Texan is now yelling at you. Let me rephrase that. Go on. Yeah. So you yeah. yourself Hello, Grassoff. Well, the Alamo's, but it's a dis- the Alamo's a disaster movie more. It's about a, well, fail- it's a failed siege, right? It's like yeah. Sada is a. Uh, Helm's Deep would be a disaster movie if the elves hadn't showed up. Right. But also, the, one of the great things about uh, the Helm's Deep siege is that um, what uh, what Eric Gordon tells the king is you know, they're not here after any of your stuff. They're here to wipe everybody oh. out. That's it. <laughs> That's that, them's tough odds. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to play those odds. And there's ten thousand of them. That's what I meant by math a little bit earlier. Tom. Ah, very there's, good. There's ten thousand of the Urukayan orcs coming in against, like, uh, however many the Rohan forces have. And it's 10,000. 10,000! Dingus, what's the difference between an Urukai and an Orc? Uh, the more you shake it, it gets. 
Why didn't they just run into the forest? Uh, the the Urukai are orcs uh, uh, blended with men. Men blend. blend. Oh, so there is interbreeding there is sex. In, in, in Tolkien. Well, it's, the white hand is born out of the shit. It's the way that Saruman uh, Saruman conjures them. He, oh, right. It's like it's like a GMO of orcs. Like, right, and so they they, they come out of these weird. I mean, if you remember, like that weird the bat that made the vats, and then they and when they're born, so so to speak, they they claw out of these weird membranes. I that's right. I remember those. Yeah. See, Dingus knew. Yeah. I thought we were gonna uh, trick Dingus, but he actually knew the answer to that, Kelly Wand. Oh, I watched Tricks. both these movies. Oh, man, I had such a great time. I haven't watched the extended editions in so long. Oh, my God. I love watching okay. the orcs be born every time. <laughs> I see something new in the, during the membrane clawing scenes. Oh, oh man, and I just loved getting to, to see Treebeard again. Oh, oh, man, I just had such a great time. Dingus, what do you call a meeting of Ents? An Ent move. Uh, is your name Dingus, Kelly Wand? <laughs> oh. When did you change your name legally to Dingus? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, ask it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dingus, what do you call a meeting of ants? Uh, a tree word. Uh, I should have asked Kelly Wand. You should An have. airplane. <laughs> <laughs> My third favorite siege, and I mentioned this movie before, and I don't think either of you jokers have seen it yet. Uh, it's a, a movie called Ironclad in which Paul Giamatti is an awesomely petulant king laying siege to a castle with in the castle we've got James Purefoy. Have I said his name right? That's, that's a name I never don't expect to say out loud very often. James Purefoy. I don't know. Uh, the guy who's in Happen Leonard. Uh, he's a knight in this castle, and uh, Brian Cox is in there. But Paul Giamatti lays his hands on Brian Cox, and to get the besieged people out, does some really gruesome torture stuff to Brian Cox. Huh. And the people in the castle are like, "Oh, that's terrible!" But you know, they have to hold out. Um, it's got, it, you know, it's it's got great battles. There's really good C- uh, CG. They do some cool stuff with like siege engines and how they uh, get around the siege engines. Uh, they totally smash up this castle. I mean, I'm sure they didn't really, but it looks great. Like when they're trashing the walls, um, just a great old-fashioned, just rock'em sock'em siege. I love that bit in Ironclad. Um, and nobody knows that movie. It's such a weird, obscure – I guess because not enough famous people are in it or it's just a weird chapter of English history where English barons were uh, reacting – where the king was like rejecting the Magna Carta. I mean it's not like a sexy historical moment like – I don't know what sexy historical moments are, but certainly not that. Nobody cares <laughs> about the Magna Carta. Uh, yeah, that one's weak. I know, right? Boring stuff for most people. Yeah. I was bummed when I found out that movie wasn't about an ironclad, like I know, right? Yeah, you Victorian were... era submarines. Yeah, that ends up in the Sahara Desert, and Matthew McConaughey salvages it. Okay, paddle boats are not ironclads. Just because an ironclad has paddles on it doesn't mean all paddle boats are ironclads. You guys are both. Your Remember not knowledge Stiv? is wanting. Yes, Kelly Wine. Let's ironclad. talk video games now. Right? Yes, go on. Remember the sound the gun made? It was all <laughs> like that. Totally uh, cool. name, Dingus, name three ironclads in the Civil War. Monitor. Whoa! I didn't think you'd be able to do one. You know, you can stop there. You got, you got, you already got ninety percent farther than I expected you would. Ten to one farther. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get the next one, right? Well, they, every, they go and they travel in pairs, basically. Is there a right. third one? Like Seth. Merrimack, and I don't know what the third one would be. And uh, Santa Maria. Alamo. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Dingus, what is your second favorite Siege movie? All right. Um, okay, here's a quote from it. You mean your only plan is to stand behind a few feet of mealy bags and wait for the attack? 
Oh, uh, World War Z. Close. Ew, ew. See? You're very close. It's a movie Lindelof. called Z- Zulu. Have you ever seen Zulu? Uh, Michael Caine, right? Yeah, Michael Caine. Um, yeah, I like that. I, like I, feel, I feel really bad picking this. Because um, I know we have a friend who I was hoping would write in, and Zulu's like one of his favorite movies. Yeah, and I know that he did. I, I engaged him in conversation about this early in the week, and I'm like, because um, he's the guy who introduced this movie to me. He actually brought it over to my house on VHS um, and gave me, I think he gave me a copy of it. I probably have it somewhere in one of the boxes in our garage. Um, uh, Where's this in the garage? Uh, he gave this copy of Zulu to me. He really was totally interested in, in me watching this. And, you know, again, Tom, when you mentioned this topic, so many things just started popping into my head. And Zulu was one of those first things. And so I engaged Darren in a conversation about this. And I, I'm certain he wrote in about it. Uh, I, or, or I know he wrote in. I just hope that he wrote in about this because um, I'd love to hear what he has to say about it um, because he he's this friend. Um, and one of those great things about movies is when your friends give you like a movie I mean, and tell you, you have to see this. This is, this is particular to you. Um, there's been a, there's more of those than I can count with you, Tom. Like, I mean, off the top of my head, troll hunter, rubber, those types of things pop into my head is just like, you need to see this. Just watch it. Don't ask me a question. Just watch this. And Zulu was one of those things as far as our friend Aaron is concerned. Um, but this particular, this, this siege, and, and this is again related to map, Tom, because, um, it's 4,000 Zulu warriors attacking to drive out these, uh, British dudes who are, there's like a hundred of them and it's a, it's a, it's a hospital and they have to decide whether or not they're going to take all the guys in the hospital and try to cart them out or they're going to actually decide to stay there. And Michael Caine is this kind of aristocratic snobby dude and it just so happens that the guy he's with is outranks him just because of when he got his commission, which was a little bit earlier than uh, Michael Caine's character got his commission. Um, and that guy, the guy decides we're going to make a stand. Uh, and they do this great thing um, that um, uh, reminds me of this, uh, of this line in, um, in Hunt for Red October, which is uh, that, um, uh, What's who's the guy who came to the New World and he burned his ships to motivate his men? Bizarre. No. Uh, uh, Kelly, I'm going to let you field this question. Oh, I can't remember his name. It's Zuzu. <laughs> anyway, I'll I'll think of it eventually. Um, uh, but it's that sort of burning the bridges to motivate your men or burning the ships to keep your men focused. And um, there's this weird priest. Uh, not priest, but minister, who's trying to say, let, let me take all of these guys out of here on the wagons. And the guy's like, wagons? You want wagons? And so they drag the wagons into the complex, and they turn them over on their side so they cannot be turned over again. And they, they form part of the wall, and they use these mealie bags, which are these big bags of grain. They put the wagons on their side so the wagons cannot be used for escape, and they are used for walls. Uh, and then uh, I mean, so many wonderful things happen in this movie. It's such a joy to watch. Um, it's, it's got a little bit of cheesiness going on in it, but the waves upon waves of attackers and this idea of how a siege works and how uh, how foe goes again. I mean, there's the first the first battle alone. It, it, 
it might be a chore to watch this movie because it's about two and a half hours long. Um, but the, the first attack alone where you realize the reveal of, of why the attack of the Zulu is happening is, is almost worth the price of admission. Um, but when you mentioned Siege Tom, my mind immediately went to how they, this little group was planning for this. And it, it's based on a, a true thing that happened. Um, how this thing happened and these 4,000 Zulu against, I think this, like this contingent of maybe at most 100 uh, British soldiers. 150 actually they had. So Aaron Kane has written in, uh, he says, for me, what makes a cinematic siege work is the ability to create a sensation of the uselessness of civilization. In other words, holding onto what we know while surrounded by an unknowable enemy, preferably in vastly superior numbers. Uh, And his number one pick is Zulu. He says, hopefully I will not be the first to bring up the cinematic siege. Clearly a source of inspiration for many films that followed. Peter Jackson, at least, has gone on record about how much he looked to Zulu when putting together the Battle of Helm's Deep. Oh, I didn't know that. I I like that you you just popped that in instead of waiting. Good job. Uh, And he says the depiction of this was Rourke's drift. Uh, It's an exemplary and creating a sense of dread, hopelessness, grit, and otherness. Um, Right. Which it's kind of, uh, like, I, I don't know that we could make a movie about the Battle of Rourke's Drift today. Like, it's such a, basically, the, you know, the, the white imperialists holding out against the black masses is right. is going to look a little, is going to make people uneasy, and it's going to not sit well. But that's part of what the British Empire did, for better or worse. And sometimes it was left to a few men to hold out heroically for maybe a cause that, you know, but colonialism. It's so historical. But there's sure, also... Sure. There's also a sense of honor on both sides and how that works out. I mean, I, I love the way that the movie has this sort of back and forth as far as um, honor and bravery are concerned. Right. right. Yeah, it's not um, – actually, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm guessing it's not – like it does explain like why – it's not like the Zulu are doing this because they're a-holes. Like it, it no. does sort of explain some of the backstory, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's a clear understanding. I mean – I don't know that you would call it even-handed. Um, it's it's, but there is this weird. There's this great moment at the beginning um, where it's, so there's this minister and his daughter who are sitting there watching this ritual go on, and it's going on and on and on. And there's all this dancing going on, and um, uh, you know, I'm sorry for being puerile, but all of the Zulu women are topless, of course during this whole dance and there's two lines of Zulu women uh, top, you know, uh, bare breasted. And then the, the warrior men are on the other side. And what you come to understand is that this is a, a wedding ritual. This is, a, this is a mass wedding. And this minister, this missionary is, is trying to explain to his daughter what, is, what exactly is going on here. Well, sort of, um, editing it for her somewhat when the women like have a, 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 a blade and they point it at the man, uh, the particular man. And he's trying to explain exactly what that means. Um, but it's, it's really sexy. It's really weird and it's really foreign to them. Um, but it goes on and on and on and it's rather beautiful and it's rather, so, so the movie doesn't belittle them in any way. And it certainly doesn't, cast it on one side or the other. Um, but with the way the movie resolves itself, I think it has an understanding of what, of what honor and dignity mean to both of these races. Kelly Wanda, have you ever been to a wedding like that? Uh, I don't believe in marriage. 
my second favorite siege. I haven't seen Zulu in forever, otherwise I might have picked it. But I'm so glad you guys mentioned it because I'm now going to cross it off my runners up, so I don't have to bring it up. My second favorite siege, and this is so close to number one. Number one and number two are like touch and go. Ultimately, I personally prefer number one, but I think this is a far better representation of a siege. Um, so, Dingus, you asked how long does a siege have to last? This one is, I mean, in the movie, it's probably maybe a couple of hours. Uh, in terms of running time in the movie, half hour. Uh, but it's really a few hours one evening. And it also has that same real Bravo thing where the people being besieged are protecting basically a criminal. You know, they are on the side of – not they, but one of them is doing what he believes is the right thing in terms of not giving in to mob justice. And the person they're protecting, and they don't know this, has just murdered a child. Um, and this is a movie based on a book called The Siege at Trencher's Farm. Oh, it's a Scottish – what, Dingus, you don't – because I didn't know this. Do you know what movie this turned into? I had no idea this was based on a – it was only when I was reading up on it. I was like, wow, it's based on a book called The Siege at Trencher's Farm. Siege is right there in the name. Right, right. I know, you know, I know what you're talking about, but go ahead. Uh, so uh, th- this is a, a, a Sam Peckinpah movie uh, called Straw Dogs, uh. um, which is just so uh, – I love how divisive it is. I love how just icky the sexuality and some of the violence is. Um you could make an argument that it is profoundly misogynistic, uh, but I'm not sure that it's extrapolating messages about women as these two particular women, namely the one who kind of seduces David Warner's uh, disabled character and also Susan George who succumbs to a rape and then later wants to let the besiegers in. She's right. constantly saying, give give him up. All they want is him. You know, Give him up. And, and as a study on what it means to have a home and to have a place to protect and you know the way it would have been expressed back in this day was what it means to be a man um like dustin hoffman is just seething with uncertainty and petty anger about what he's been subjected to uh and and he, he uh it his his idea of just holding out and why he's doing it um it's just so psychologically weird and twisted but the actual mechanics of the siege in this are awesome. Um, what they establish is that he's a mathematician, so he's supposed to be super smart, and he does really smart things during the siege. He he literally boils oil, like he puts can, uh, he puts pots on the oven early on, and he pours cooking oil in them. Oh, that's great! I forgot that. Yeah, and then later he splashes it on their face when they're at the window. Uh, he takes wire. Well, the, the bear trap, yeah, like the bear trap. By the way, and I love how. Uh, just as a movie, structurally, uh, Straw Dogs opens with that bear trap. Like it really doesn't say, oh, by the way, there's a bear trap. Like it's all about showing you the bear trap early on. I mean that's a Chekhov's gun if I ever saw one. And then at the very end, the bear trap is a, traps a huge part of the denouement. Uh, hmm. uh, so the siege I in that – go ahead. I prefer the James Marsden version. Personally. Have you seen it? No, but he's—I know he's a screenwriter in it. So Rod changed him from a mathematician into a... Rod Lurie is such a freaking tool for that remake. Uh, I, that remake—I also watched that this week. Just because Rod's I want... a tool. Uh, very good, Kelly Wand. Uh, um, yeah, so he changes uh, the occupation. Like instead of being a mathematician and a housewife, James Marsden is a screenwriter, and uh, Kate Bosworth, his wife, is an actress. Like his, his, he's so <laughs> got to make it Hollywood. Instead of being Scotland, it's the Deep South. It's for um, everyone. 
Uh, there are just so many missteps. And by the way, yeah. so James Marsden isn't just a screenwriter. He's a screenwriter working on a movie about the siege of Stalingrad. Oh, no. Oh, good lord, really? <laughs> Wait, now I even want to watch it. Stalingrad, not Leningrad? It's so bad. Stalingrad was the famous one for like World War II where the, the Russians that, held out against the, the Nazis. Enemy at the gates. Stalingrad, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, Straw Dogs, the original, is awesome, and it's, it, it really holds up as just being like weird and an artifact of the 70s. The siege itself at the farmhouse, it's all foggy, the way it escalates. Um, is so, there rapey stuff there? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Not at the sea. Well, uh, the threat of it. I mean, when I say rapey, I mean that, that whole here, we've got a woman over here. No, it's it's no threat. It's explicit. So Susan right. George, his wife, remember, yeah, uh, is seduced slash raped by a, an ex-boyfriend who's totally bullying her husband. And the, the weird part of it, and I think part of what makes it so controversial is what starts out as a rape. She clearly ends up participating in and then it transitions to a full-blown rape as one of his buddies comes in, um, oh. and it's not shot – like it's not – it's not super explicit, but it's it's clear what is being implied. It's clear what is going on, um, and it just feels really icky. Uh, when, you, when you say participates, you mean in the deep calm way in order to, to – No, she's like – she's, she's into I mean part of the – oh, deep oh. – no, so dead calm. Nicole Kidman is doing it to trick him. It's clearly right. a calculating thing on on her part. Right. Uh, the implication is that Susan George is actually attracted to this man, oh. uh, and she's so angry at her husband, uh, she knows it's wrong. But the implication is this weird thing that I'm I, I I think is a is a gross way of looking at rape that women could enjoy it. Like it's this weird thing that yeah, it's a rape, but she ends up. Basically, like holding him and kissing. I mean, if you were to cut halfway into that scene, you would think you were watching a love scene, and it's really oh. weird. It's, um, but uh, so, so that's the thing too is that when the men are trying to get in, and she's saying she actually at one point wants to leave and join them. Uh, she wants to give up David Warner, who plays the simple man. Uh, and when uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman kills her lover, she like screams out the lover's name, like she almost is sad. Like you don't know what Sam Peckinpah was doing with this, but she is distraught and concerned about him being killed. Um, So in the in the James Marsden movie, by the way, there is no hint of any. It's a straight up rape. There's no ambivalence. It's like super easy, super superficial. Like not superficial, but it's totally black and white. Kate Bosworth is never conflicted. Um, She totally is on on his side at the end when they're trying to defend him. one of the things that happens is the local constable comes out during the siege, and here is the chance. You know, Aaron Kane mentions that it's the loss of civilization. Here is the chance where law and order shows up, and the men who are there, by the way, in in the Sam Peckinpah movie, they're just like drunk and giggling and breaking yeah. glass, and they're just vandals basically. They're fuckwads. Yeah. And then the sheriff shows up, and he's like, "Okay, guys, go home. Quit being stupid." And in a struggle over a gun, he gets shot. And suddenly the stakes are raised, and these guys realize that they're really in for it, um, and it just gets darker then. In the James Marsden movie, the sheriff shows up, and they just go ahead and shoot him. Like it's, it's totally like, oh, the sheriff's here. We better murder him. Uh, like there's no sense of escalating. They're there to kill people. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Um, uh, do you yeah. remember, Kelly Wand, who the main villain is in the uh, James Marsden one? I didn't see it. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, it's uh, Denzel. No, 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 please. Uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, uh, uh, who's actually kind of good in it, and I wish they'd wait. Is a Southerner? Yeah, yeah, totally. And he's fine as a Southerner. And oh, re- wait, I was thinking of Stellan. Never mind. No, 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 Stellan's car. Yeah, the son. Uh, and what's really hilarious, and they play this up, this is the only decent thing Rod Lurie does in this movie. The the remake is just – again, Rod Lurie's a tool. He has no idea what he's doing. This this guy was a film critic. He makes The Contender with Joan Allen, which is okay. Then he does this wretched remake of Straw Dogs that says to me – this guy knows nothing about the movie Sam Peckinpah had made, and he was a film yeah. critic. Um, the only good thing he does, uh, James Marsden, and I had to look this up because I was like, "Is that real? Are they cheating this?" James Marsden is like five ten. Stalin or uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, six foot four and a half. <laughs> so there are some amazing scenes of the two of them talking to each other, and James Marsden basically having to bend and look up, and it's just such a great dynamic between the two of them. Uh, as far as one being intimidated. Wait, so now you like it again. No, no, I said that's the only good thing that Rod Lurie oh, accomplishes, is casting one actor considerably taller than the other. So it's uh, like Rocky IV. I'm going to have to take your word on that. Hmm. Oh, because Sylvester Stallone is short, and uh, uh, Apollo Drago, Creed is tall. Bob. Oh, right, oh. that guy. Right. Right. God. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, would you agree, Same. do you believe that uh, Straw Dogs is a celebration of violence? The old one? Yeah, yeah, the old one. Yeah, because you haven't seen – the, uh, the new one is yeah, just – Yeah, but it's a peck and paw movie, so you kind of – it's sort of – you know, it's a peck and paw movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, hard to it, – it transcends celebration of violence. Well, here, because that is one of the complaints about it. It's first of all that the that it uh, – It's about it, wild bitch. Right. Like one of the complaints is that it eroticizes rape, which it doesn't eroticize it at all. It de- definitely shows that a woman has conflicted emotions in this situation um, – like that that's really gross and weird uh but it doesn't doesn't eroticize rape and i i don't think that it celebrates violence at all because this man dustin hoffman he's so good in it like you watch early dustin hoffman stuff and you're like yeah man he was good he was he was such a 70s actor um he 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 ends up losing his home instead of defending it like his whole idea is that he's going to stand up for his home for his family and everything he does like he ends up like killing people and giving in to the exact same thing that is being used against he him. He has no choice. Right, and that's the thing is it's kind of a tragedy. Like he he is being forced <laughs> he's being forced into giving in to his base nature to, to violence. He's been forced into it, and in the process of that, he loses what he's trying to defend. Because at the end, by the way, David Warner has this line because David Warner is, you know, he's he's mentally disabled. He's a simpleton. He he doesn't he has no idea what's going on. And there's interestingly enough, there's a moment where inside the house, as things are going crazy, David Warner gets out and attacks Susan George. Like even this guy they're defending is like like a rapist. It's really gross and weird. Um, mm-hmm. So finally, he's killed everyone. And he even has this weird moment where he says, Jesus, I got them all. Like that's his, his, his next to last line in the movie. He puts David Warner in his car, and he leaves Susan George there with all these corpses. Like he's done with her. He's driving David Warner presumably to the cops or whatever, and David Warner, simple-minded, basically like he has the, the brain of a, of a six-year-old, he says, I don't know, I, I don't know my way home. And Dustin Hoffman says, and it, this isn't as cheesy or as pat as I'm making it sound, but Dustin Hoffman says, I don't either. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. 
Um, huh. it, I would I would agree that it fetishizes yeah, violence. Like it's super graphic, showing like people. Uh, so at one point, a guy reaches his hands in to undo a window, and Dustin Hoffman wraps the guy's hands in wire and then binds it to the window frame, so the guy is trapped. And the guy says, "Oh, you're you know the glass is cutting my throat." And Dustin Hoffman is like, good, I, I hope your throat gets cut. And he leaves him there. And then later his buddies come and they free him. In the Rod Lurie one, the guy reaches in and uh, James Marsden takes a nail gun and shoots the nail gun through his hand into a stone wall. Like we've we've made fun before of how nail guns show up in movies. Uh, and he uses the nail gun to shoot the guy's hand into the wall. And the guy's like, oh, the glass is cutting my throat. And James Marsden is like, yeah, good. And then the guy does get his throat cut. Like, it's so stupid. What? I know. Uh, so, that's lame. It really, yeah. It's, if you really want to see a guy who has no idea what uh, Straw Dogs is about, watch the Rod Lurie one. The Rod Lurie like one. the Poltergeist remake. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. Yeah, Kelly, very good point. Did in, you guys watch the movie right, the first one? <laughs> in the Rod Lurie one, there's even a scene where he explains what Straw Dogs means. Ew. Which is not what in is the it? Peck and Pollen. Uh, according to idea. James Marsden, screenwriter, uh, the Chinese would make straw dogs that they would then throw away when they were done with them. So the men attacking their house are straw dogs because their glory days were when they were football players in high school, and now they're behind them and they've been rejected by the town and they feel uh, like they've been thrown out. Hmm. That's pretty articulate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a straw dogs argument. Uh, Anson Mount is in it, though, if you guys care about that sort of thing. Anne Marston? That's Anne Marston. Yeah, how about that? Jeez. Walton Goggins, he's in it, very briefly. It's an embarrassment of poverty. Uh. <laughs> Kellywan, what is your second favorite siege in a movie? Uh, I'll do a line from it. Yeah, you will. Another line from it. So it gives you two lines to work with. Bless you, Martin. Your reward is in heaven. I'd rather get paid sooner, sir, if you don't mind. No? I like that uh, line. I, I did like that line, and it, it sounds familiar. All we have to do is burn the meat and our clothes. Take off your clothes. Come on. Huh? That could be from anything. That's a good point. <laughs> Zootopia. Playboy Mansion. No? Ah, all right. It's from the 1985... Movie, no, still nothing. Wow. Miracle Mile. That's a siege movie? No. I guess it kind of is. Not really. It's Paul Verhoeven. Wow. Soldier of Orange? No. You're on the right track. Uh, Basic Instinct? Come on. Play correctly. The Troopers movie? Star Troopers? Stormship Troopers. Starship said Troopers. 85. Stormship Troopers. 97. It's uh, Flesh and Blood with Rutger Hauer. And oh, oh Lord, yeah, nobody's seen that, Kelly Wand. Oh. Boy, that movie creeped me out so much as a kid. Flesh and Blood? Yeah. Because uh, of the rape creepy. scene. The rape scene is so... Yeah. Oh, no, no, I, I was thinking Soldier of One. Yeah, yeah, that, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, that's what you thought that this one was. You thought a medieval castle siege movie would be called Soldier of Orange. I did. Yes. You're weird. Um, yeah. No, that's the best siege movie because it's got biological warfare. 
It's got an inconclusive ending. It all takes place in a single day. It's got a love triangle. Is the biological warfare like like a, a riding cow or something? Is that the idea? It's plague. Right. It's plague. Also, it's, it's called flesh plus blood. It's not flesh and blood. Yeah, flesh plus blood. That's correct. That's true. Flesh v blood. Yeah, the rape scene totally freaked me out when I was a kid. Um. Well, anyway, that's my number two. Right. Did we go out of order? Oops. Yeah, I was supposed to go before them, but I don't. I just didn't care. Okay, now let's talk about straw dogs some more. All right. No, okay, that's so my number, flesh, that's my number two also. Flesh plus blood. Thing is, what is your favorite say, uh, siege in a movie or siege movie or siege that doesn't suck? All right, here's a quote from it. Hey, Brian, Dungeons and Dragons game tonight? Well, something I haven't seen. Life of Brian. Uh, Cloak and Dagger. It's, it's from uh, uh, a movie. Have you guys seen Taps? Oh, good lord! Not in oh, forever. Yeah. Wow, but that's a good. What, they, wow, they reference Dungeons and Dragons and Taps. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the Who first says line. Cruise, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise does. Say. Yeah. No uh, way. No way. Tom Cruise is playing Dungeons and Dragons and Taps. Yeah. Awesome. He's, he's walking down the stairs and he looks back up at uh, at Brian and Timothy Hutton and he goes, "Hey, Brian, Dungeons and Dragons game tonight." And then, like he like, I think it's I think he says it to him, um, and then he ends up flipping him off. Uh, but I just love that because my kid is totally into Dungeons and Dragons right now. So watching this again this week and hearing the Dungeons and Dragons reference and the way Tom Cruise's character plays out throughout that movie uh, was a real pleasure for me. Um, this is it's, it's kind of a cheesy movie. It kind of goes off the rails at about the thirty five minute mark, um, and it is funny to see George C. Scott. Uh, sort of do riff on Patton a little bit um, as the leader of the military academy. But I really, really like Taps. I had a, I had a couple of friends in high school who were totally into um, the whole military uh, ideal, the whole idea of going to a military academy, um, would would dress up, and, you know, and, and, you know, this friend of mine and I dressed up in, like, uh, these um, Air Force uh, like jumpsuit kind of things and go as like Top Gun dudes and he would be Maverick and I would have to be Goose of course uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so they were totally into that culture and that's how I found the movie Taps um, uh, but the siege in the movie Taps is amazing to me, um, not the least of which is because of how misguided it is and how when you're in that mentality, you are going to hold on to it, even if you are given – and Ronnie Cox is the guy who is the colonel, or I think it's a colonel, who comes in to say to Timothy Hutton, dude, give up. This isn't going to work. This is not going to work out for you. And he keeps trying to talk him down off the ledge. It's so funny to see Ronnie Cox doing such a great, a really great dramatic part. Timothy Hutton's great in it. Everybody's really great in it. But it kind of does go off the rails when George C. Scott accidentally shoots a kid. Um, but, but the whole, this whole thing about the way the siege works and, uh, when Timothy Hutton tells uh, Sean Penn, who is being so careful with him, and and being loyal to him, but careful. And this is this whole honor, loyalty, dignity thing that goes on in this whole siege. All right, you're gonna have to put guards on the water supplies because they 
turn off the water from outside and then they turn off the electricity and then they have to like refill the generator and Giancarlo Espe- uh, Giancarlo is it is it Esposito? Yeah. Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh he's in it. Um there's this dude from the West Wing who's in it that I that I recognized who was one of the uh guys who does the um uh political uh, consulting on one of the campaigns. Um there, there's a ton of people in it. Uh, the little kids in it who didn't really end up doing anything else are really, really good in it. Everybody's really good in it. And it gets a little cheesy and it kind of runs off the rails. Um, but man, Taps, I really loved watching Taps again this week. And this is one of those moments where I was just like, I'm so glad Tom chose this, this particular thing because they go out into the town to requisition supplies basically. And one of the trucks breaks down. They end up in this cheesy, like, uh, showdown with the, the townies, which is one of the, the, the things with the townies is, is this, this weird conflict that they have in the movie. And so they have to leave some of the supplies behind. So they start to run out of supplies. Um, uh, and Tom Cruise, uh, he's so young and his voice is so whiny and high. It's so, it's such a joy to watch the movie and to hear him talking like, <laughs> He's just got this weird high voice that he learned to modulate down as he became a star, which is really uh, kind of a fun thing to see in the movie. Who, who directed um, Taps? Uh, Taps is directed by a guy named Harold Becker. Oh, do we, we don't know him from other stuff. Um, actually, we do. We we do know him from other stuff. I, I just can't remember off the top of my head what we know him from, but we knew him. We he's 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 done other stuff. I can't All look right. it up right now, but but he's definitely done other stuff. Kelly Wand, are you a Harold Becker fan? Um, that said dancing one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you Wand- guys remember watching Taps? Uh, yeah, I don't remember it very well. And I got to make there were a lot of other military is creepy movies coming out around the same time. And the, so I the thought- basic plot of the movie is that they're shutting down this military academy, right? And right. Sell it to make condominiums here. And then, uh, Timothy Hutton, who has just come, you know, he's just, he's just been, um, promoted to be the, like, the major, the, the, the major for the next year. And now they're going to shut the place down. And, and so he, like, he makes a final stand to say, we are going to keep this military command. Academy open and all the adults are gone. Jersey Scott has had to go off and have a heart attack and, and eventually dies. Um, so, so they're making a stand to protect their military academy and the National Guard rolls up to take it back. Um, so that's kind of the basic, like. So real estate's the, evil. The 80s. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it's 1981. It's very much like real estate. They're they're taking over. You can have as many condominiums as you want, but yeah, we can make condominiums. But how how many places are there available to make men? Um, Ew, gross. They say that. Yeah. <laughs> Ask yeah. Saruman. Yeah. Wow. Kelly Wan, what is your favorite siege movie, or siege in a movie, or siege that doesn't suck? And I'm warning uh-huh. you, Kelly Wan, the cops are on patrol. Zero tolerance. Remember. Okay, here's a line from it. Mm-hmm. Negotiations over. Sentence is death. This sounds like the opening part of Cobra. Or no. Dread. Yeah. Dread? Fuck yeah, bitch. Yeah. Dread. Best siege movie ever. Oh, very good. I, I think it's back. Yeah. Wait, yeah, what? yeah, I'm with you. There's no the siege. Dread. dread? What are you talking uh, about? It's a siege movie. The whole thing. Me and Dingus the new- love. 
the no, newest. It's, it's him running around inside a tenement building. It's that whole. Uh, no, he's that, stuck in the building. Yeah. They besieged him in the building. Yeah. They no, shut all. They're the, all in the building together. That's not a siege. No, to kill him though. <laughs> the yeah, siege, people the siege running around. Killed. If people running around inside a building, that's not a siege. No, he can't get out. He can't get out of the building, and that's <laughs> still not a siege. <laughs> oh my god, Ding is you're with him. Yeah, and Carl Urban is totally in the LOTR movie, so huh. First of all, Dingus, that's two strikes. Dingus, Dingus, that's two strikes. I will not tolerate you calling them LOTR movies a third time. Loader. <laughs> so, no, okay, I'd rather you do that. It's a trilogy, LOTR. LOTR movies. Where did you pick that up, Dingus? KOTOR. LOTR. <laughs> anyway, each movie, you're crazy. Hey, Tom, do you remember the name of the drug in Dread? Yeah, it's uh, Black uh, Lotus. <laughs> do you remember what it did? It slows down time for uh, Lena Olin. Or no, no. Uh, Lena uh, Olin. Shut up. <laughs> Lena Headey. Cersei. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, was I close? Was, Tell me the real answers. It was called Slow Mo. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Come on. Seriously, what was it called? And her name was Mama. Yeah, the, Mama. Uh, Lena Headey. So not a siege movie. You know what? Dude, you're crazy. It's such a siege movie. Definitely. It's a great siege movie. So he's pulled up somewhere in the movie, mm -hmm. and they're surrounding him. Yes. Dingus? It's It's kind of weird. Consider Die Hard a siege movie? It's a weird double siege movie. Die Hard is not a siege movie. Oh, my God. Unless it's from the perspective of the terrorists. No, he's besieged by them. Oh, my God. John McClane is besieged. It's a dread. It actually, now that you think about it, is a double siege movie because mm-hmm. he has to because uh, he has to find a way to protect himself from them. He has to he has to wall himself off from them within the building, and then and they are keeping the police that will rescue him that are also going to you know maybe betray him from coming into their building. So it's like a double siege movie. Double siege, Tom. Do you guys know the movie The Raid? Yeah. Okay. That is the same thing as Dread, and that movie is not called The Siege. It is called The Raid because they're going to raid a tenement building, and a lot of fighting happens in the tenement building. Same yeah, with Dread. Same with Dread. He's going to raid a tenement building. A siege isn't just a fight where you're outnumbered. Like it, when <laughs> no, Bruce Lee fights, you can't get out. When Bruce Lee fights a bunch of bad guys, is that a siege? No. It's just, he he shows up there. He's not stuck in the in the building. But John McClane is stuck. He can't get out of the building. He'd love to be out of there, but he can't because he's besieged. <laughs> and same with Judge Dredd. They've uh, shut all the windows and doors. You know what? Speaking of Judge Dredd, Kelly, here's your uh, here's your court date. We're gonna have to show up. You uh, have the right to an attorney. Anything God, you say may or may not be used against you. You have Such the right. Stuff. You have the right to be an attorney. <laughs> you can. You have the right to be an attorney if you really want to. I know what you're doing, Tom. God, dread. Oh my God, you guys with your weird dread. You, it's just, you have a. You, you know what you guys' problem is? You have a fetish for Carl Urban's chin. Fuck mm. yeah! Do you know how challenging that is to act with just your chin? And yeah, if you look at that shot yeah. of it. His like mouth's down. That guy's a genius. I will yeah, say exactly. Look at how Ben Affleck pulls it off. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Fair. See, compare those two performances, Tom. Okay, I take back. Me. Right. I take back what I said about Carl Urban's chin, but I'm standing by the fact that Dread is not a siege. Kelly Wan, you're under arrest. Tom Olivia Thirlby's in it too. Okay, Kelly. <laughs> As a psychic. I'm letting you out on furlough. 
I wouldn't want to be a psychic around Olivia Thirlby. You know <laughs> it would be very embarrassing. She'd be, she'd be, never stop slapping me. Uh, all right. My favorite Siege movie, and I'm, I, I thought you might pick this one, Kelly Wand. Um, I, I too many. They're all good. They really are, right? Mm-hmm. This one is near and dear to me because I am such a fan of zombie mythology, and I feel like it does establish this idea. There's, you know, Night of the Living Dead has this great sense of they're boarding up the houses and eventually they get in. But I think this idea of codifying zombie mythology as also being an apocalypse and the siege, the stakes really being civilization at large, as Aaron Kane points out shrewdly, that's part of what the siege is, is you're holding out against just chaos and overwhelming numbers. Uh, and, and that's literally what it is with a zombie uh, apocalypse is entropy. Uh, the forces of like decay and death are closing in around you, and this is just so well expressed in the original Dawn of the Dead with this idea that the civilization is all the consumerism in the, in the mall. You know, you're in a mall, and who hasn't had the fantasy of these are the fruits of the modern era, all this fun stuff, and it's all yours. You can do whatever you want with it. Even the zombies have it. And, and, and I love the procedural bits, by the way, of Dawn of the Dead, where they have to secure the the, uh, the entrances with trucks, and then they have to go through and, and clear the zombies out, and they have to put the bodies in a freezer so they don't rot. Um, so right. I, I just I just love what George Romero did, establishing zombie mythology in, in Night of the Living Dead, and then just really making it a global zeitgeist kind of thing with Dawn of the Dead. Uh, and there's just great shots in that, too. Like when they first clear out the mall, they're thinking we're just going to hold out here and help will come. And a big part of a siege is that waiting is yeah. is the cavalry going to arrive? Is help yeah. going to come? Uh, and with that waiting uh, on we sits in, uh, you, you know, you're, you, you get what are you going to do to fill the time? Um, and and furthermore, what happens in Dawn of the Dead? It's a complete inverse of the cavalry riding to the rescue because right. the cavalry bikers on bikes, they show up and they're even worse than the besiegers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it completely ruins the, the defenses. It's humans that tear it down, not the zombies. That also being an important part of zombie mythology. Um, so I just love, uh, I love this idea of that little circle of, of consumerism. You can have whatever you want. You can play with whatever you want. There's an ice rink in there. There's a video arcade. There's a supermarket. Uh, everything they want is in there. Uh, there's uh, the, the pacing of the movie is such that at one point Roger. So it's basically three dudes. It's Ken Forey, the guy who plays Roger, and the woman who plays the chick whose name I mentioned last week and forgot, Galen Ross, I think. Uh, they're basically trapped in there, and then there's a fourth guy who's her husband. Um, they're trapped in there, and at one point Roger gets bitten, and nowadays we know if a zombie bites you, you're toast. This is, again, kind of the early days of establishing this. They then establish by having Ken Forey say, well, I've seen this happen. He doesn't say this to Roger's face, but Roger knows it. I've seen this happen, and nobody lasts longer than three days. So Roger, there's this bit where he's got – he's basically terminally ill, and George Romero shoots these scenes of him basically enjoying his last few days just having fun at the mall. They wheel him around, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's when they're uh, clearing out the mall. That's a great scene. They put him in a wheelbarrow, and he's shooting guns while he's being carted around the wheelbarrow, and they get in a car. You know, There's the thing where you drive the car into the mall, and you put a placard on it saying, you could win this. 
they get in that car and they drive it around and clear out the mall. Um, but then it's it's after he's been bitten, and then after that scene, they show him just like having fun uh, at the video arcade and just eating a lot of stuff. They show him grinding coffee in the in the supermarket, like fresh ground coffee was a huge thing back then. Um, mm. So that's my favorite Siege movie, just for how it furthers in zombie mythology. We've seen plenty of movies do this, sometimes better, sometimes worse. Um, there are great images. Oh, so that's the thing is they're holding out, and Ken Forey even says. Before that bit where he explains, you know, my grandfather said when hell's full and there's no more room on earth, the dead will walk the earth, whatever. When he says that little bit beforehand, he says after they've secured the perimeter, he says, well, uh, when they secure the perimeter, he says, hopefully they'll just go away when they figure out they can't get in. And that's not what happens at all. More of them keep coming. And there are these great scenes where Romero just had like extras standing around as zombies like in the parking lot slowly walking in. Uh, there's this sense of, nope, it's not going to get better. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse, uh, and it's inevitable that something is going to give. Uh, and that, again... It's the dawn of the dead. Exactly. They're just be, they're just getting warmed up. Uh, that cavalry thing totally reminds me of something I wanted to say about Zulu, because uh, there's this awesome moment in Zulu where this group of cavalry show up, the, this group of, of horsemen arrive, mm-hmm. uh, basically to tell them... that. Your defense isn't going to work. You guys need to get out of here. You're not going to be able to do this. And uh, and the main guy says, "We're going to stand here and defend ourselves. You 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 guys stay here. Uh, a couple of you go out and do this and do that. And instead, the 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 cavalry, as you say, Tom, just goes, "Nope, we're out of here." And they just <laughs> fight off. They just they did they they desert them. They're like, "You guys are crazy. We're leaving." And and the men stand there in their defense, watching this. Cavalry just right away. Jerks. Yeah, uh, as as opposed absolutely to what happens at Helm's Deep when the cavalry is what you know, because what happens in at the siege of Helm's Deep is that finally Aragorn says to the king, "Ride out with me. This seems hopeless. Ride out with me. Let us ride out." And make a final stand. And when they ride out, that's the the fifth the fifth morning when Gandalf has said, "Look for me on the on the the dawn of the fifth morning" or whatever he says. And then he comes over the hill with uh, with the banished um, riders of uh, of of is it uh, Eomer, um, who, who and they all ride over the hill, which drives everybody away. Which is in direct contrast to that idea of what happens in Zulu, where those guys come up and go, "Yeah." Uh, all right, we're out of here. If uh, Ian McKellen had been in charge of Zulu, he would have stuck around. Yeah, he definitely would have. I agree with you. James Miller says, thanks for a great topic uh, that took me no time to think of my favorites. First, I'll get it out of the way because it's obvious. Well, I don't know, James. Uh, this is a good one, but we've kind of beat you to the punch here. He wants to talk about Battle of Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith? Minas Tirith? Kelly one, how do you pronounce that? Uh, the way you just said one of those times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Taking place within and without, Jackson seamlessly blended Gandalf and Pippin's confrontation with Denethor and defense of the layered wards of the city. Mm. While outside, Theoden, Aragorn, et al. launched massive-scale battles with everything, including ghosts and giant elephants. So, Dingus is – right, right. Thank you. Dingus, is there a reason that like you prefer – actually, do you prefer Helm Street to Minas Tirith or – I, d- I didn't get to Minas Tirith because I don't uh-huh. like – 
I don't like Return of the King as much as I do the first two movies. And actually, when I was watching the first movie, I was almost kind of thinking of um, the uh, Mines of Moria as a possible like mini siege. And, and again, this is one of the reasons I was asking about timing when they when they barricade themselves in that tomb room. Oh, the cave troll bit, right? Right. Um, and then I was thinking, well, if I if I can stretch out because this is like you know almost 12, 9 to 12 hours of movie watching. I could not get myself to return, but I was thinking of Turf. I just couldn't get there. I think Helm's Deep is the more uh, noble defense. Because Minas Tirith has that, has that weird thing with Denethor and... Uh... Oh, no, no, that is Helm's Deep. What's the problem with Minas Tirith? No, 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 Denethor is Minas Tirith. You're right. Theoden is... is uh... Oh, right, right, right. I'm confusing Theoden and, and Denethor. Can you believe right. that, Kelly Wand? I confuse those two. Insane. And it is weird to watch what a dick Denethor is to Faramir. God, I want to, I want to punch that guy. Who played Faramir? We keep seeing that guy in other places. Do you remember? No, he was in Three Hundred, but I can't remember his name. We like him. He's he's the eye patch guy in Three Hundred. Eye patch guy. That's his name in the credits. Dingus. <laughs> James Miller says second. Dawn of the Dead. The survivors holding out in the mall as legions of the dead constantly try to infiltrate is terrifying and often hilarious. Speaking of 300, I mean, it's the same director, right, Tom? How dare you? I assume, you know, actually, James Miller does not specify. I assume he's talking about the Romero one. All right, fine. Uh, He said, oh, because the Romero one, I mean, the the Zack Snyder one, by the way, do you think that there are moments that are – Zack Snyder has no comedic touch. Like that man – that man wouldn't know comedy if it bit him in the ass. Like there's nothing funny that Zack Snyder has ever done. Zack Snyder has never had a single funny moment in a movie. Wow, that's I'll a bold go, yeah, statement. That's right. I'll say that. And, uh, uh, and the, the uh, Romero Dawn of the Dead does – there's a lot of sly humor uh, in that. Uh, and uh, James says it's the small moments in the film where we're allowed to indulge in the thought of having free run of a mall that are my favorite. Third – oh, wait. James, you did these backwards. <laughs> James, no. Pull them over. Yeah. Uh, James, you're going to have to work on the paperwork on this. Here's a citation, just to make sure you fill this in correctly the next time. He writes, my favorite, and I love that someone mentioned this. I would have loved to have gotten to see this again this week. Uh, yeah, it's a siege. Uh, he says, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Seven Ooh. men are hired to save a town from an impending bandit attack. They train and plan and get to know each other with epic results. Starting with the old samurai sketches of the town defenses and culminating in a showdown in the rain, this is a siege. And more importantly, cinema at its very finest. Yeah, of course that's a siege. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, as a runner-up, I also thought of Guy Pearce and Russell Crowe under siege at the Victory Motel at the end of L.A. Confidential. Okay. James, All right. accept that. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, okay. That's a how long is a siege question. Again. Yeah. They can be short, yeah. Michael Tygart says, number three. The Road Warrior. I think most of us know this one pretty well, so I won't rehash it. Uh, the best part of this movie is what happens after Max breaks the refinery siege and attempts to escape. But I remember some interesting things happened before the big chase. Anyway, this was the best large-scale siege I could come up with. Uh, and he is surprised, and I agree with you, by the way, Michael Tigart, that in the same 3x3, nobody brought up what was in the tanker in Road Warrior. But Mike, <laughs> I didn't bring it up because it's a spoiler, and I didn't want to ruin the movie for anyone. <laughs> oh, there's a good one. I bet You know what? I bet Dingus is going to go, oh, yeah, that is a good one. Kelly, that's my prediction. Ready? Mm-hmm. Michael Tigart's number two, The Professional. 
Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> I really love the final siege of Leon's apartment. Part of what made it so effective for me is that much of the action is shot from the POV of the assaulting police officers. I think the movie did a good job of conveying the fear and tension of being part of the actual assault force. I also really like the way Leon used the chaos and confusion of a close quarters firefight to finally escape the siege. Spoiler, the escape was temporary, but he did get out of the apartment at least. Hmm. Michael Tigart loves spoiling movies so far. Uh-oh, uh-oh, ooh, ooh, Michael Tigart. He leads, and I think he might be right. He says, I may run afoul of the law here, but I'm going to risk it. I'm already throwing him in jail. So Michael Tigart <laughs> is writing this from jail. Throwing him. Yeah. There's a letter from Michael Tigart in his prison cell. He says, the sniper battle from Hurt Locker is my favorite small-scale siege. Some might call this a straight-up sniper duel. Yes, Michael, some might call it that because that's what it is. <laughs> Michael writes, some might call this a straight-up sniper duel, but I'd argue that it meets the legal definition of a siege. Well, the judge has found that wanting, Michael. Sorry. Uh, Michael continues, the defenders are holed up in a small fortified location. The attackers outnumber the defenders, and there's a lengthy standoff before the attackers finally end the siege and go home. I really just love the scene, and when it popped in my head, I had to put it here. I, th <coughs> I throw myself at the mercy of the court. See, it's choking me up, even thinking of this. Well, no, if, my, the, if the guys in the building had had the juice boxes, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Right. The attackers are the ones having the supply issue. Yeah. Right. All right, Michael, enjoy your stay in prison. Maybe we'll let you out <laughs> next week. Hey, is the judge in the court Judge Dredd? He's not a real judge. He's not that kind of dread. Yeah, he is. What? Drudge. He's a judge. You know who's more of a judge than Judge Dredd? Judge Judy. Judge Judy Hops. That's right. I went there. <laughs> Grant Stewart, unfortunately, this is sad. He leaves with, I've avoided what I would call home aloning, because I would have liked to have seen that. But I'm still uh, handing myself in at the QT3 precinct. Man, we're going to have serious prison space problems. Yeah, it's Damn. a seat. It's assault on precinct. Uh, and he's yeah, he said he's prepared to proceed directly to trial. Oh, good lord. Yep, you're going to jail. Oh my god, you're still going to jail. Proceeds to trial. This man is a flagrant <laughs> violator of the law. This Grant Stewart ruffian, no good rapscallion. This is a ne'er do well. Number three, true detective. Uh, Wait, what? What's going on? What just happened? There's so many things wrong with what's going oh, on. Well, we well, did it the podcast. Yeah, so. this is the way to, way to undercut my legal case here. Right. Uh, he actually – the defense calls Thomas Wesley Chick of Beverly Hills, Los Angeles. Not where I live, so I guess I don't have to show up for this one. Uh, you testified this is not TV. It's, it's HBO. It also appeared on your movie podcast and is therefore inadmissible. And is therefore admissible. He's got mm. it there, Dingus. Shit. Mm. Oh, he's Dingus, he's even calling you out. I remember Dingus felt that the 15-minute tracking shot was basically the director peacocking, but I really like how it brings McConaughey's character to life, and we see how competent he is as the house is under attack when locals realize they're posing as cops. What? That's attack. That's not a siege. Is that the siege? He's not stuck there. First of all, yeah. He just gets out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's taking a little bit of drugs to get into character. He's hiding in bathtubs and dragging around some poor street urchin with him. I was a fan, but it was all downhill from there. Well, well, he's got two problems here legally. It's not a movie, and that's not a siege. I mean, that's an attack. So, unfortunately, I don't think we can throw him in jail on the count of it not being a movie because we did yeah. set precedent. We we blew that one. But, yeah, clearly an attack, not a siege, not even an attack. It's people running around in a neighborhood. Just like Thread is people running around in a tenement. Right. Building. 
This is people running around a neighborhood. Grant, this let's is see a kidnapping. If, yeah, let's see if Grant does better with his two and number one. Number two, Kelly Wan, what is that movie about cults with Elizabeth Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen, whose name you have trouble with? Let's see how you're doing on that front. We used to check in with you regularly. It's been a while. What is that movie called? Martha, Marsha, Marcin, 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 Marie, Marlene, and very close, uh, Kelly Wan. You're getting better. Marlene. Martha, Grant Martha, Stewart. Martha. Grant Stewart's number two. You, you guys quit quoting Batman versus Stop Superman. Stop why you say that name. Yeah, why did you say that name? Grant Stewart's number two, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. I would posit to the judge. Why did you if, say those names? That if there's a such thing as a cold war, then this could be seen as a cold siege. Grant, not going over well so far. You're about to go into solitary, I'm afraid. Although I think Olsen is an unreliable narrator. Is that true? Oh, well, yeah, she's a little crazy. Okay. Yeah, look at the end. A little crazy. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Although I think she's an unreliable narrator, the events as she experiences them is her trying to find shelter with her sister while members of the cult circle in her peripheral vision. Grant, 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 please. Please. Uh, All right, let's see if he can uh, somehow get a little bit of credit for good behavior in jail with his number one pick. Children of Men. uh, Although London is under siege in general, I think particularly of a scene near the end of the movie. I didn't get a chance to rewatch this, so the details might be hazy. But I remember Clive Owen trying to get mother and or baby out of a tower block as it's being attacked by the army. It really captures the mayhem of a building under attack as they're receiving gunfire and tanks are shelling the building. Has Baby Jeopardy ever been been more perilous? I think not. Nope, not a a siege. They're, They're attacking people who are inside a building, Grant. Grant, you're picking uh, these are great entertainment, either movies or entertainment products in the case of True Detective, but not sieges. Sorry. There's a baby Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the baby's been born. He uh, uh, hosted by Alex Jr. <laughs> Listen to Tom. Wow. Dingus. Okay, that's the, if that's the low shot you want to go for, Dingus. Fair enough. Woody Harrelson was besieged by Lily Simmons and True Detective. <laughs> Are you? Are you? Hold on, Kelly. One, are you mistaking Alexandria Daddario for Lily Simmons? Is that what's going on here? On this no, he's besieged by both of them. What is Cheers? Who's Lily Simmons, by the way? Is she really a chicken true detective, or you're you're just mistaken? She's the fuck me in the ass girl. Ew. Okay, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> right. <laughs> you fooling yourself to blame Tom. <laughs> yeah. Duncan writes. Uh, Duncan. Here are my choices of Wait. sieges, concentrating on scenes where nominally competent and powerful individuals find themselves trapped and somewhat ineffective. Also, they all have Lance Henriksen. Uh. <laughs> That's the, good. The Terminator. Smoke, confusion, and death in what should be one of the safest places in a modern city. No, Duncan. That is Arnold Schwarzenegger attacking a police station. Yeah, when you drive... A building, a, a, a car into a building that is not laying siege. If he had parked outside and threatened to shoot anybody who comes out, maybe that would have been a siege. But they do kind of represent to her as if, it, it, you know, he, don't they describe to her the amount of people that are there and the amount of firepower is there? Don't worry about it. Yeah, but how does that make it a siege? Dingus, don't get on his side. You're just going to end up in jail too, Dingus. Well, uh, somebody has to be this guy's advocate. I don't want – you know what? Being His an accomplice Duncan. is a crime. Since last name Idaho? In 
In, oh, God. <laughs> I know. Biggest in Terminator thing. Salvation. Yes, uh, go ahead. I already like where you're going. Sam Worthington's under Sedge, according to McGee. Now do you like where he's going, Tom? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to Bingus. Uh, <laughs> I spelled it. Uh, Duncan's number two. This one I thought about. Uh, Duncan, you're already in jail if you're number three. This one might not have landed you in jail, but it doesn't matter. You're already there. He writes uh, – oh, because he's doing the Lance Henriksen thing, I see. He writes uh, Aliens. Professional, professional soldiers doing everything they've been taught to do to survive a siege to no avail. Oh, is that one scene with the uh, the automated turrets? Is that a siege? It's a mini siege. They do yeah, sort of barricade. It's... They weld the doors shut. Right, right. Yeah, okay. They dual weld them shut. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Just you... trying to fit in. That's... I was doing Tom Cruise from Taps. It's a D&D. <laughs> <laughs> you... I remember seeing Cocktail. Wait, there's more. Wow. And thinking... Wait, Tom Cruise? Because I thought he was like a Shia LaBeouf nerd actor. And then I was like, oh, wait, he's glamorous. Like, that's how Tom Cruise is going to be for the rest of it. And then along came Top Gun, and there was no question. Yeah, volleyball. Don't kind of no- under siege behind the bar and cocktail. Actually, how about under siege the movie? Not a siege, oh. by the way. Not a siege. No, it's a dude running around on a boat. Not a siege. Dark about under siege, too. Yeah, that's Dark a train territory. siege. Not a siege. Oh, my God. I've recently seen both movies. Neither of them are sieges. Did you, ah, you watch it? Seen them? Yeah. What's wrong with that? How did I that happen? Kind of a... Okay. We were doing our podcast on worst action heroes. You guys remember this? It was a three oh, yeah. by three. Okay. I pitched Stephen I'm going to watch all the Under Siege movies. <laughs> in, the <laughs> in the service of my choice, I watched both Under Siege movies. And they're That'll not show siege. those fools. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel chastened. Duncan's number one pick, Near Dark. Bullets aren't an issue if you're a vampire, but the sunlight coming through the hole they leave in the walls sure is unfortunate. But silver bullets are if you're a werewolf, huh? Duncan, I'm putting you – have fun with your cellmate, Grant Stewart. What about a silver steak? Paul Weimer writes, (laughs) Sieges are the classic inversion to storming the castle. Lots of great choices. Here are three of mine. Excuse me a moment. Well, I enjoy a beverage because Paul Weimer is always – you can count oh, on him to really sit in right now. something. Is that a screwdriver? Spe- Number three. In Skyfall – uh-oh. I don't know, Paul Weimer. Oh, no. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's, it is a little Oh, no. The end, of course. Jeez, yeah. dingus, of course. What was I thinking? That's a great one. Damn, Paul Weimer, great. you've already – if Paul, Weimer, if Paul Weimer's number one and number two are blatant violations of the law, he's he's covered with his number three. He's yeah, that's Spectre. a great one. Damn, damn. In Sky, you listen to Kelly Wan, Spectre. Uh, in Skyfall, which is, in my opinion, an excellent Sam Mendes movie. What? He says it's an excellent Sam Mendes movie, but a terrible James Bond movie. Huh. No, it's a oh, – okay. I now. know. Yeah, well – He's on parole. What do you mean, Kelly Wan? What are you talking about? Well. I don't know. It's now. It's an awesome. It, it plays on so many James Bond tropes. And no, come on. It's a perfect. The end, no. It is the absolute perfect James Bond movie. It's James kidding? Bond for the modern generation, Kelly Wand. Yeah, that's a good point. You need to let go of your 60s and 70s uh, predilections. It's the episode seven of James Bond. Thank oh, you, man. Wait, that's yeah, great yeah. pick. Damn. Fuck Thank you. Anyway, yeah, so Paul Weimer writes, yeah. The defense of the Skyfall Manor House against Raoul's forces by Bond, Kincaid, and M is done with shoestring equipment and cleverness. Yeah, that is a great one. 
Yeah, I love that. And then the the caves. I mean, it's very. I mean, oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, here's one for you, Dingus. I guess I don't know. In Kingdom <laughs> of Heaven, the final siege of Jerusalem and the desperate defense by Balin. Is that one of the dwarves? Is yeah. visceral, spectacular, and eye-arresting. Hmm. Not sure how I feel about those two yeah, words we put together, weird. Paul. You might As, get arrested. Uh, he's first. He says he loves the trebuchet action <laughs> movie. Uh, has any of us seen Kingdom of Heaven? I remember kind of liking it, but thinking Orlando Bloom was the issue. I've seen – like some cool – we actually have the the director's cut of it because I've tried to give it so many tries, but they just the Edward Norton ridiculousness is just too much. <laughs> Edward Norton is in Kingdom of Heaven yeah. as who? <laughs> Saladin as a guy behind a mask the whole time. Okay, uh, huh. I that. has Edward Norton done any other historical dramas? Yeah, oh, Hulk. Uh, and Paul Weimer's number one. This one is for Kelly, who is reading Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Oh, my God. In so, Red Cliff, set during that historical period and based on the book, one of the spectacular set-piece confrontations is the siege of a river fortress. Giant flights of arrows that put the movie 300 to shame, all-women cavalry charges, naval uh, combat, and much more. What, what, what movie is this? Red There's Cliff. No women. Red Cliff. Cliff. There's no women cavalry using... The three hundred arrows instead of just the 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 Henry Five. I mean, that, that's. Tingus, nah. not everything is about Shakespeare. <sighs> All right. T.J. Keller writes, "My favorite siege is from a classic. It's probably already been mentioned already. It hasn't, T.J., but this is an excellent one. You." are in no danger of being accosted or apprehended or in any way harassed by the law. You may travel freely in this three by three. T.J. Keller has chosen Last of the Mohicans. I feel the most important thing in portraying a siege is impending doom and the dread that comes with it. Mm. Siege of Fort mm. William Henry shows that so very well. Each mm. character has time to reflect, and it shows the audience some very real character. The other part of the siege I love is the outcome. I love the surrender and how the movie depicts armies of that time treating each other. Except, oh, damn. except for the Indians. Massacre. Yeah. Well, the armies don't. The, the, yeah. the, it's so cool. The armies, because it's like the you know the the Agua. Yeah, but it's like the the British, the French are like, you know what? We we won. You guys can just march out of here. Go home. Right. right we're not. We're not going to hurt anyone. You guys are fine. We just want the castle. Or Christmas Eve truces. I should have watched still? New World. There's got to be some siege in New New World. Mm. Hmm. I don't know, Dingus. Who <laughs> are there? Are there even battle scenes in New World? There's no buildings in New World yet. Yeah, it's just there's like a, it's, it's Paul and Farrell macking on that. It's like the Martian. No, there's a fort. The Martian's a siege movie. <laughs> Never mind. Well, there's a fort. Uh, there's a fort in the Revenant. Is there a siege in that movie? A bear. You know, it's besieged by a bear. Yeah. yeah. Kelly Wand, uh, you were way too slow. Dingus won that one. He got it out for. Oh no. Arthur Giovanni <laughs> chooses chooses Skyfall. A uh, great pick. He also chooses Lord of the Ring. The the, the Two Towers, Siege of Helm's Deep. Uh, and then finally, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, the Siege of Minas Tirith by the forces of Mordor. After the loss of Osgiliath, the enemy is able to move in troops to properly surround and lay siege to Minas Tirith. After the battering ram, Grond breaks the gate. The defender of Gondor fight, defenders of Gondor fight valiantly, but would almost certainly have been overwhelmed were it not for the arrival of the Rohirrim and their heroism during the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Mm. Remember that battle, Kelly Wand? 
Then they besiege uh, Sauron, but it's still they're still outnumbered because Sauron sandbagged a bunch of fuckwads. Right. Chris Markinson confesses that he's pretty sure all of his will have been chosen. Nope, Chris, only one of them. Uh, yeah, okay, you know what, Chris, I like this one. Number three, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> Heroic British knights. Uh, that's a good one. They siege to a castle held by the French. There's also a Trojan rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great for you, Tom, because you Old love creepy rabbits. I love. Oh no! Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna be citing Monty Python things, that's a good one. Go with that. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great one. <laughs> they really fucked that rabbit up. Uh, number two is the movie uh, Zulu, the movie based on the Battle of Rourke's Drift, has four thousand Zulu warriors laying siege to the mission station of Rourke's Drift and the hundred and fifty British soldiers defending it. All right, you guys, how do you feel about this one? Markinson? Uh-oh. Well, okay, I'll just read it. Black Hawk Down. There are a couple of sieges that happen in this movie. Yeah, one that is successfully Wait. defended, while in the other, the attackers win. I'm choosing the siege where the Americans successfully defend Super 6-1's crash site from a deed's militia uh, as the failed defense of Super 6-4 always leaves me bummed out. You know, there is... I, th- I wouldn't even have thought of this, but there's this whole sequence where they have to like they have to gather the supplies, make sure they have enough water. Hmm. I'm remembering from the Mark Bowden book, like uh, like the guys like sitting overnight in certain rooms. So, you know what, Chris? We'll let you have that one. That's a good one. Yeah, I think we have to That's give him that. That's the last good Ridley Scott movie, unless unless you count Hannibal. No, you don't. Oh, Prometheus. What's happening? I also remember, Dingus, what would you guess? I remember this from the Mark Bowden book. Dingus, guess what? And I'm not going to ask Kelly Wong because I can only imagine what he would say. Guess what a combat jack is? Oh, jeez. Uh, about six bucks in Bangkok. <laughs> see? See what happened, Dingus? <laughs> see? You, 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 tried to, you tried to frost him out, but it didn't happen. Or six bots. Or ice him. Let's ice him. Tom, let's ice him. Let's, let's, Tom, let's ice him. Uh, all right. Okay. By the way, a combat jack is exactly what you're thinking it is. So there. It's, really? It's, it's a term I learned from uh, from the Black Hawk Down book. Yep. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, nerd. Runners up. No one mentioned Assault on Precinct 13 except Kelly Wand early on because I watched both uh, of those this week as well. You did? Yeah. I like the remake, kind of. You know what? I don't anymore, watching it now. Really? It doesn't hold up. I like no. Maria Bello. I liked the remake. That's the Ethan Hawke one, right? Yeah. yeah. Hawk one. You know, who's the chick who's not Maria Bello, who's super hot in that? What? Who is that chick? She's got like a really tough-looking uh, face. Yeah. Who's the chick who's not a re- uh, Maria Bello? The icy receptionist. The friend, the friend zone girl. No, 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 no. Not at the super – she's a – Super tough cop chick. I'm talking. I'm not talking about the original John Carpenter one, the Ethan Hawke one. Right. You guys don't know who, I'm, who the the non Maria no Bella girls in the. Oh, the um. I always get her mixed up with Maria Bella too. I'm mean, you said that. Is Maria Bella the one who's in the um, in the Viggo Mortensen movie? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a history of violence. Maria Bello is uh, and in in Assault on Precinct 13, she's the police psychologist who shouldn't be there, and she's New Year's uh, Eve. Get stood up. Uh, isn't it Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Christmas. Usually, uh, okay, maybe, yeah. So the the chick I'm thinking of is Drea DiMatteo. Oh. 
Right. You guys, I don't, I don't know what else we know her from. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think the sequel holds up. And uh, remake. The reason I don't uh, remake, right? Thank you. The reason that I don't pick the John Carpenter one, uh, it's great early Carpenter and Kelly Wan. Like we've talked about the scene where the girl from Escape to Witch Mountain, where the ice cream cone gets shot, and how grim it is. Mm-hmm. Um, very seventies. The actual actual siege craft is basically a lot of violence to Venetian blinds. Yeah, I kind of remember that. It's just dudes climbing into the blinds and stones being thrown through and guns being shot. And then another dude cr- crawls through the blind. I mean, if you hate Venetian blinds, that is the movie for you. Remember that guy, Napoleon? Don't they use desks at the end as the trick? It's like the cool thing. They're like, oh, we use these shields. Like that's their big innovation that the the inhuman homeless hordes haven't cracked well, the, oh, the, they got deaths in front of them Fuck. The, the really cool part early on and it, this is where you think oh there's gonna be cool siege mechanics and nothing comes of this though is the bad guys roll cars in front of them and stand behind the car shooting they're like pushing mm-hmm. cars as cover uh up to the police station that's a cool bit um but no they crawl out of the sewers don't they like there's that whole bit uh and the guy who's who plays napoleon um yeah, remember? I, yeah, I clearly think this was uh, uh, John Carpenter's first stab at Snake Plissken. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't quite take until he got Kurt Russell in, in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other other runners up? Um, I This is one of the reasons why I was thinking of your of, of sort of what the timing would be of it. Uh, but it, this doesn't work. I was just thinking of them in Victoria when they uh, take the hostages. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I would love an opportunity to bring up Victoria in any three by three. So, right, I don't think that's a siege, though. I mean, uh, they escape the siege in, right. before it can happen. Um, uh, the other thing I was thinking of was Phase Seven. Ah, uh, yeah. Do you remember how Phase Seven works? Where there's that one guy who, I, but th- this is something. Oh that, no! Right, right. Uh, for a different topic. Um, that would kind of be that I would label bunker mentality rather than siege. Um, he is over there. But I think that Phase 7 has some siege elements to it. Uh, the one I'm, that I recall, and I wish I'd liked this movie because I'd love to see a good movie about this, about what he was obviously trying to do. Uh, I, I wish Red State had been better as far uh, as yeah. about the whole like basically a thinly veiled retelling of the David Waco stuff and especially now with what those nut jobs in was Oregon um just these sort of standoffs against the government right um so i wish i didn't i didn't think red state sucked oh that's a really good one actually yeah uh here so if if true detective is going to come up and Kelly one i don't know if you'll know this dingus I don't know what your problem is. I've tried my best, and you just aren't going to watch this. But there's an amazing scene with Nick Offerman in a siege in season two of Fargo. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about, Kelly Wan? Did you see season two? Yeah, but I don't remember which one. <gasps> oh, my God. Are you serious? The police station bit with with Nick Offerman? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, love, love that siege, but it's pretty quick. Right, 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 right. It's, uh, yeah, um... Uh, but Dingus refuses to take my recommendations for television. Really? So. He didn't watch either of the seasons? I'm not a fan of Nick Offerman, so I can't be bothered. <laughs> uh, I remember loving, and it's just the one sequence that – what's the Resident Evil movie where Oded Fair drives a truck through a bunch of zombies besieging an area, and then the truck blows up? 
Like the, he drives the truck to lead the way for Mila Jovovich to escape, and the truck goes up and it turns over and he detonates a grenade and kills himself. And there's the big wide shot where Paul Anderson shows us all the zombies blowing up. Do you guys not know what I'm talking about? It's got to yeah, I know exactly. It's the one where she has like this weird flashback to their old house or something. Yeah, is it not the 3D one that we like? Unfortunately, no, no, it, it's, it's the, the second one. one. I think. Is it the Vegas one? Because that one was kind of terrible. No. Okay, he saw that Dang one. It. What are you talking about? All of us have seen every one of them. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wand. I, I haven't seen... Yes, I've you have. No. Okay, all right, all right. You all have. Right. I guarantee you Really? Have. Why, Why would fuck? you miss a Resident Evil movie? Because they're fucking lame. Yeah, but you watch them anyway. It's your duty. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Speaking of duties, Wait, I, oh yes, Kelly Wan, you have uh, runners up. What do you got? Yeah, I had two runners up. Grave Encounters. Nope. And, not uh, accept it. You just wanted to mention the movie. <laughs> nope. Fair enough. But we'll not accept that as a siege. And uh, bre- and Breakfast Club. No. Okay, what was Dingus going to say? <laughs> I was going to say, do you remember The Last Castle? Did you guys ever see that movie? Yeah, oh, kind of. Isn't that one of those movies about how wacky British people are? No. <gasps> it's the it's, it's like Pants. Robert Redford and... Um, it's like Brew Baker. And the Hulk. Who's the Hulk? Eric Banya. Mark, uh, Mark Ruffalo. It's a prison It's a prison siege movie. Oh. With James Gandolfini. You guys remember that? Uh-uh. Right. I remember the it coming out, but me I remember me not seeing the movie. I remember I remember me having to see Are you thinking of Brubaker? No, The Last Castle. Stop it. Brubaker. No, isn't there a prison movie with Robert Redford and Yafet Koto called Brubaker? Yeah. That's yeah. not they a all clap. I thought Brubaker was the guy who walked around walked around the forest with a two by four. Who's that? He's Buford, Buford, Pu- Bru- Buford Pusser. Pusser, yeah. You're mistaking Buford T. Pusser with Brubaker. Yeah, well they both have bees. <sighs> Kelly one, why do we let Dingus talk about any movies from before 1980? Nick Cage had bees in uh, Wicker Man. <laughs> Dingus, is that, Tom, is there, is save that for our three by three on bees. That's coming up. Uh, right. But Dingus, what three by three will we be doing next week, and how can the listeners participate? <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, one of my favorite things. I saw a movie this week that uh, made me think of this topic. Um, I've already used uh, – I'm going to go ahead and burn this. Uh, there's this movie called Joshua, uh, where I, what I, which I used for these things that, where, where scenes make you feel all ooky or gross or uh, And this is when um, Vera Farmiga steps on a shard of broken glass. Ah, dingus. Don't even bring that up. Sorry. So uh, this isn't necessarily about wounds or ooginess. It's just your favorite moments um, – and your favorite usages of broken glass in movies. Uh, because I saw a movie this week that was just breaking all kinds of glass. Just crazy broken glass going on. That is kind of in, in a lot of Siege movies. You just shoot pictures of like rock, or you just shoot rocks being thrown through glasses and splice them together. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and just the way glass is used in movies. And, and, uh, and we've used reflections before. Sure, sure, yeah. And that kind of thing. But I love broken glass in movies. We've done it's oceans. Your favorite broken glass. Kelly Wand, do you have any questions about Dingus's three? But uh, Dingus, I should say, will you be fielding questions from Kelly Wand? I will only be fielding questions from Annie Lennox. Hmm. Did you get so, that, Kelly Wand? See, here comes that's when you're having to decide. I don't know. Hmm. Well, then I don't have questions based on what you just said because now I'm scared of you. Uh, Kelly Wand, what movie are we seeing next week? <laughs> 
Next week we'll be seeing the motion picture Get Carter. Wait, Let's that's right. What? Wait, yeah. what happened? There is Hard- a game in there. Harder, harder, hardcore, hardcore Henry. Hardcore seeing hardcore Henry, Henry the video game movie. Very good. Uh, we will but see- here it's just known as hardcore. I'll be seeing it in German <laughs> again. What's German for hardcore, by the way? Das hardcore. <laughs> Uh, and if the listeners see it and they want to send in some comments, which we encourage, or if they have choices for best broken glass, Dingus, how can they do? How can they participate in next week's podcast? You can definitely email us at uh, quarter three at wait. Dingus has already broken the email address. I broke the email address. It's three by three. It's three x three at quarter three dot com. Uh, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian McClinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And we had Kelly Wand. Also, uh, uh, Baby's Day Out, also. La 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 la. Rosemary's baby is a good situation because she's besieged by the building and also by her own womb. So from within and without, she's besieged. Dingus, what do you think? I'm going to have to rescind that victory toot toot. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! <laughs> I prefer his earlier funnier vehicular. <laughs> well, look at you, junior detective. <laughs>